Milo, join me. to Movie Night Extravaganza, episode 42, We Snatching Bodies, name of the episode. We are joined at, by, a, by a prolific panel to talk about snatching bodies. I think three out of four of us uh, have already been snatched, and um, I think it's going to be up to you to figure out by the end which one of those four it is. Um, definitely not me. Definitely not me. I totally have emotions. Definitely not me. Anyway, um, I'm joined by my two wonderful co-hosts. J. Andrew World, prolific cartoonist, uh, illustrator, draw, drawing, drawing artiste extraordinaire, and makes excellent capers. How's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. I just love the fact that uh, bagpipes are the sound of aliens. 
<laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> Everybody knows it. We're oh, talking yeah. about it more and more. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Conan Neutron, season two co-host, host of Protonic Reversal, and of course, frontman, rock star extraordinaire for Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends. How's it going? Really good, man. I'm uh, I'm very excited to uh, see who will get shot in the face when they are found out to be a body snatcher later on and maybe uh, crush <laughs> underneath the boot heel of uh, our protagonist. <laughs> it's going to be a fun show. Yeah. At, at least one person will be or three people will be. Who knows? Who really, you know. Yeah. We would never promise such a thing and not deliver. <laughs> not on this show. That's other shows, maybe. And, of course, frequent guest, uh, Twitch star, uh, just got off of a 12-hour subathon. Was just trying to figure out what the fuck that meant. All Twitch <laughs> within the last month. Uh, Christina Oaks, aka Um Christina. Tonight, I am all of the other reindeer because this film was released during the holiday season. So I thought, why not get a little festive? Yeah. Um. An, an interesting thing about this film is that it kind of feels like it's almost like back to back, also with Alien, because this movie is obviously 1978, Aliens 1979. Veronica Cartwright um, is in both movies. and Sci-fi princess. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she is. <laughs> somehow, somehow, um, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what it would feel like to fucking, you know, act in both those movies. And she has, like, a pivotal role in both of them. I have no mm-hmm. idea, like, how that must be, like, a crazy. Because it's kind of a, a, the beginning of this level of the sci-fi genre, I'd say. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so this, this alien side of it. I mean, obviously, there was a lot of alien movies in the 50s, 60s. Um, it's not like a new thing by any stretch of the imagination, but like, I think those are two movies that kind of create like a pivotal setup for, uh, sci-fi from there on out. Yeah. Especially considering the time period, like in the seventies where there was a lot of like exploitation films, uh, adult films, uh, there was just a lot of different genres that were kind of like happening in the seventies. And I feel like on top of that, there was a bit of a nostalgia wave of the 50s happened in the 70s with like shows like happy days uh you had a lot of singers like uh remaking like 50s hits you had musicals like grease become movies so it almost felt like this remake because it it is a remake of the 1956 uh film that uh it kind of fits perfectly with the ending of a nostalgia wave of the 50s happening but with the birth of sci-fi becoming pretty popular into the 80s yeah, and the modern era. Yeah, exactly. And, and I wouldn't call it the like... end. I'm sorry, Conan. No, um, uh, but I, I wouldn't call it the end of the nostalgia wave because, you know, uh, after that, we still had uh, a lot of nostalgia, including like Back to the Future. Oh, yeah. Um, Definitely. So, so, and, and like, uh, but like the nostalgia wave just kind of continued on too because, like, in the 80s, we were looking back at the 60s and the 90s. Mm-hmm. We were looking back at the 70s, um, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, you know, now we've just been looking back at the '80s, and uh, I think we're just now starting to look back at the '90s. I think, yeah. I think, I think, I think the '80s are now like the permanent approved nostalgia, but only '80s pop things, which is for very like millennials. Weird. Yeah, like it's, but it's it's been that way for like 20 years. It's like yeah. I'm waiting for it to like, and then there's, I mean, I can speak personally and say that there's some like uh, noise rock fetishism for the '90s because that was such a great period for that kind of music, but like in a way that just doesn't lend any credulity to reality because it's it's like you have people that think like bands like carp were as big as smashing pumpkins and i was like i assure you that was never the case <laughs> and it's interesting to me that like this is this is I, I, so i th- you know whether or not the nostalgia still existed in the 80s and, and it did certainly but like 
I think there was a, a big sea change in how people viewed science fiction and sort of being like, oh, well, that is now definitively over, though. Like, however, whether you want to go back to it or run away from it, like, that is definitively over. And it took until, like, the 70s for that to happen. But then you have, like, Morning America and all this Reagan, Ronald Reagan, BS. Friend, uh, of, friend of show. Friend of show, Ronald Reagan. Frequent, frequent collaborator. <laughs> which which comes back to you know trying to reestablish those values but that becomes like people's whole identity and things like that where then it turns into you know the all of the hippies basically completely selling out and and becoming yuppies and you know greed is good etc cetera, etc cetera. but i think a lot of that has it's right around this era it's right around this era and yeah, right around no, honestly, and i think i think too this film is like a great example of that that uh, moment of where you know, hippieism and because you have um, a generation, you know, basically like the millennials are now um, in their 30s, you know, in the pushing 40, you know, the, with the elder millennials. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, here you have the, the kids who grew up in the, the 60s. Now at the end of the 70s, they're in their 30s, pushing 40. Um, uh, remember, like, like they, they grew up th saying things like, you know, don't trust anybody over 30. So, so uh, once that uh, post- Watergate, uh, you know, like a uh, paranoia kind of crept in. Uh, that's kind of like what this movie is, is uh, almost like the fear of a generation becoming an adult. Well, and and if, if I may, just to tag that, because I think you're dead on, is that it's like, it's the weird, who even are you, man? You look like the guy I used to know, but you don't act like him, you know, like, come on, are you going to be any more apparent? <laughs> yeah. Well, at, at the same time, also, I think um, the idea of kind of linking these two uh, decades, you know, the 50s and the 70s with, um, with that feeling of paranoia. I mean, the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers is obviously kind of built around McCarthyite paranoia. The idea that kind of anybody could turn into a communist and that could be like baked into your blood almost and the fear that you know around the corner the russians are creeping in and even like somebody that's you such know, a bad thing <laughs> no but like, but like even even somebody you know could turn out to just be like a you know some kind of spy like there's constant shows during that whole time period that are like so i married a russian spy or like you know all of these different um and there's exploitation films about it and people being double agents and mccarthy obviously being like well our government's kind of been infiltrated by um by Russians or by communists or, you know, so I think that this movie kind of comes at a very different moment of paranoia, which is that post Watergate, post CIA hearings, post, I mean, we we're talking in the chat about um, MK Ultra, but also like, you know, the idea that, um, which makes it really funny that Donald Sutherland's in both of these movies, but you know, the idea that uh, JFK got assassinated by the CIA um, it's, it's interesting that in this movie, Donald Sutherland's character is obviously like, nothing's a conspiracy. I, you know, I could just keep calling the police and eventually they'll show up. And then in that movie, he's obviously, um, you know, Mr. X. That's like, I'm the guy that was in the CIA that was working with uh, or, you know, working for the Joint Chiefs of Staff that, you know, quit. And I know all the secrets about it. And so it's interesting that he plays in both of those movies because it seems like he's a, an actor that's actually very engaged with how the movies themselves are made, which I don't think every actor really is. Like, yeah. I think he, he chooses these projects based on, like, politics and, um, like, you know, the script. Uh, instead of kind of choosing them based on like, well, I got offered a role. Um, it seems like he's very he's very ready to take on controversial projects. This movie also comes out the same year as another movie we recently talked about, Dawn of the Dead, um, which has a, a very similar theme of kind of this idea of um, you know individuality and consumerism and like you know as as the eighties uh, quickly approaches and malls are like popping up everywhere and you know uh, your consumer identity kind of takes over. 
So I think that that's another, you know, another thing they're playing with. But I want to uh, start with this clip. This is this is um, talking about the writing of this and how the the first movie is actually connected. The first invasion of the body snatchers is connected to this one because uh, Kevin McCarthy. It's funny that his name was also McCarthy. I don't think that was a purposeful choice. But um, when he runs away at the end of the first one, uh, they envisioned it that his his role in this when he hits the car and he's like, "They're coming! They're coming!" and he's the one that gets hit and like dies. Um, you know, in front of them, they they envisioned that as kind of almost like a sequel moment. That yeah, yeah. It's one of the cooler kind of like, let's do the cameo from someone from the earlier versions that I can think of. Because if you know, you're like, this oh! and Superman. <laughs> Superman in 1978 also did the same thing with uh, the uh, Lois, uh, actress who played Lois Lane and the uh, serials played uh, Lois Lane's mother on the train or grandmother, uh, you know, uh, telling her to put away the Superman comic. But I think this one's better because it's like, you, you know, no, this thematic, one's funnier, absolutely. Right? Like, yeah, it's like it's like, oh, he got away, but like, oh yeah, here he is. Like, and it's been like 20 years, and he's still trying to like haul ass away from these motherfuckers, and they're not they're, yeah, they're gonna get oh, him they, got, you know. They envision, no, they, they, they envision they, him running from town to town, too, because you know, the original movie is kind of in, in a more rural area. And this is which I want to talk about. So. That, that's yeah, I think yeah. very important. And as the uh, I think I think the only person from the Bay Area, right? That I, I wanna I wanna speak to it at like, but one thing I do want to say too, I I love how Mr. Sutherland is like completely willing to accept that there's alien pod people, but not that the police aren't acting in their best interest. It's sort By of the way, like, that was my that was literally my uh, letterbox review. Oh, was, oh, was it? How, no, I was like, how, I was how like, very white of him. <laughs> no, but I was like, I was like, it takes him literally five seconds to accept the fact that pod people are there and they're duplicating everybody. But it takes him an hour and fifteen minutes because I waited for the moment that he was like, you know, he's on the phone and he's like, maybe the police are in on it and realizes that's an hour and fifteen minutes into the movie. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to the party, pal. The police. <laughs> And then, Sorry, he's, like, and then he's like, let me get the federal government involved, which is um, Jeff Goldblum's very funny line where he's like, the CIA, the FBI, they're all in on it. Which, young, uh, hot Jeff Goldblum. Young. Well, I, I think I think Jeff Goldblum, honestly, was hotter in the 90s. I, I yeah. Think, I think he, he filled out. Jeff Goldblum was like the first guy I ever had a crush on, to be honest. Um, I just remember, I don't remember what movie it was, but I was like, you know what? Jurassic Park? The Fly? Um, It, it might have. Well, it was this Jurassic Park era, but I don't. I watched a bunch of Jeff Goldblum movies, I think, like at the same time. And I remember like the first uh, the first man crush I ever had was like as a teenager being like, you know, Jeff Goldblum looks, looks pretty good here. <laughs> is, That's is how this, I thought about Aubrey Plaza. Is this his first? It's an early role. Is it his first role? It, it's like what I thought the fly it? was, but I might be wrong about that. No, no the, the fly, fly was not in the 80s. The fly is like oh. way later. Yeah. 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 Uh, this probably was one of his first films. Yeah. His, probably one of his first starring roles, but he was in Death Wish in 1974, which uh, he plays one of the uh, the rapists, uh, which is mm. not a fun scene to watch at all. But he's wearing a stupid Very hat. Very out of oh, character for. Jeff Gold. That, that actually that might have been the movie that I that I was thinking of with I, I remember like reading his filmography and I haven't seen Death Wish and I haven't seen The Fly, but I remember um reading through it and yeah, it was the it was the rape scene. I think I've seen that the scene. The fly is a classic. Death Wish is interesting. Like like there's a there's a conversation to be had around that movie, but it's it's a hard watch. Um and Death Wish 2 is just, you know, um ah Death Wish 2 has like nothing really redeeming about it except uh, Lawrence Fishburne, maybe, mm. uh, and his glasses. Yeah, and, I, I've, Death I've Wish never three, did, however, is classic. Just I, I never did a deep dive on the Death Wish discography necessarily, but uh, I will say I agree. The Fly is is essential and classic, and yeah, yeah. 
pretty rad. But anyway, the force you wanted to play something, maybe. <laughs> yes, before I go into Death Wish Four. Yeah, please quickly. The, the Finney book I think is popular through the years because it plays on a fear that we all have that people around us are turning secretly on us behind our backs. And if we close our eyes, they'll get us. And uh, that plays out over decades because we're always afraid of somebody. We started out with the same small city uh, idea that was in Jack Finney's novel, which really was someplace north of here. And that was very difficult because it seemed like the world was somewhere else. And here we were in the boondocks, you know, thinking about, well, what are even the locations? Where do people live? And then we sort of felt that as time went on, uh, 20 years had passed really since that film was made, that the real paranoia in, was, was starting to lurk more and more in big cities. We decided, uh, let's see what we can do with paranoia coming to a big city. And the basic thing that came to me, probably when I was talking with uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy, was to say, well, how can I get Kevin into this movie? Let's just suppose that he had left the last movie where he wanted to leave it, which is running out of the small town saying they're here. And let's just suppose that he ran for 20 years trying to spread the word. The British are coming, the pods are coming, whatever it was. Lock the door. They're coming. They're coming. Help. Help. They're coming. They're coming. Listen to me. Listen. Help me. You're next. Please. Please. You're next. We're in danger. Please. Listen to me. Something terrible. Please. You're next. Here they are. They're already here. Help. You're next. They're coming. They're coming. They're coming. They're coming. Hell yeah. <laughs> I, I love that gasp. Like, like that gasp is everything yeah. right there. It's just amazing. Chaos in the city. Fun. <laughs> well, and yeah, so I guess this is gonna be a good time, Sandy, to say that as someone who, you know, lived the majority of my life in the Bay Area, you know, it, it, a great movie is even greater always when it features the Bay Area, all of Vertigo. And I think Invasion of the Body Snatchers uh, does so in a really good way that it, it it does not do like some other movies do, like um where it's like there's one scene on one side of town and one scene like, you know, 40 minutes on the other side of town. You're like, no, they didn't just round a corner and do that. I could point out movies that do that, but it'll just be distracting. But I think it actually adds to the vibe because if you think about uh, San Francisco, especially around this time, you know, city in transition, but also like still considered like this bastion for like freaks, nerds and weirdos, but kind of like beginning to like transition Harvey Milk. Right. Mm -hmm. Diane Feinstein's eventual ascendancy after Moscone. Like this is a very like poignant time for politics where like, unfortunately, the forces that maybe we wouldn't have been aligned with kind of won. Now, I was real busy being like, you know, one when this came out. So like I had nothing to do with it. Yeah. You didn't have much time to, uh, to hang yeah, didn't out. Do a lot of analysis as it turns out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there's no other, there's no better place that you, you could put. I mean, the classic thing would have be to set in New York, right? That would have been the classic thing to do. And I like the decision to do it in San Francisco because I think it works better for this film, especially because mm -hmm. of culturally. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I, I agree. Um, I think that it's it's an interesting transitional period, I think, in general, too. And, you know, as you guys were mentioning um, earlier in the conversation with it being kind of the end of this uh, hippie era, too. And I mean, you know, San Francisco is kind of the focal point for that, right? Like it's it's 
kind of where people think, oh, well, like, where am I going to go as some like just random hippie person? I'll just take off for California and end up in San Francisco. Yeah. And, um, you know, I so I, I think it's an interesting uh, like that whole new age culture kind of has always fascinated me because there's like an obsession with the self. Right. And I feel like as any kind of idea about um, collectivism or like any kind of uh, collective identity kind of slips away. Everyone kind of, as Adam Curtis says, and I've referenced this a thousand fucking times on the show, but when he says they retreated into themselves in, uh, you know, hypernormalization, it's like this this retreat into, you know, instead of actually having some kind of radical politics, instead of having um, ideas that can change the world, suddenly I, I can change myself. And by changing myself, I can change the world. And that's like the first, uh, that's one of the first thoughts, I think, that become like a collective turn towards neoliberalism. And uh, I know I know Andy wanted to wanted to you know have his uh, neoliberal theory about this movie, but I do think that that plays a really big role because uh, you know it's the same people I think that we think of as kind of the new left, right? Like the um, yeah. uh, the, the hippies and the people that you know opposed the Vietnam War and kind of in the process of opposing the Vietnam War realized that they had a lot in common with other young people that were like libertarians or civil libertarians or like different ideologies that, you know, didn't share any of the same economic goals. And suddenly they kind of had given everything up and the Vietnam War ends and all they really have left is like, how can I radically change myself? And by radically changing myself, I'm changing the world around me, which is not true. Which, which is all. not true at all. But but there, also, <laughs> if, if I may, and I know I'm, I'm already talking quite a bit more than normal, uh, but the important thing to remember is this is also the dawn of punk rock. Too. Like literally when this came out, the dead Kennedys were about a mm, year and a half old, right? Flippers starting the Avengers. And like the idea that they're being like, like Jeff Goldblum's character is a perfectly emblematic person who's like probably going to be a punk. Like he's going to be down at, you know, Hobby Gardens or or whatever to go see the punk rock shows because well, he's not after he gets snatched. Uh, uh, going yeah. to the, uh, I'm going to get to the, uh, the, the uh, uh, punk rock shows. and uh, uh. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Like you can totally see like a deleted scene where he's hanging out with Jello Biafra and they're like, you know, talking about. I'm so I'm so mad that I just thought of um, let's uh, uh, open up the pits. <laughs> <laughs> but but the thing is, but what, what, what we must remember, too, is like that era, that era of American punk rock began as a reaction to all the things you're talking about for us. Like the, basically what would eventually become the commodification and complete betrayal of like the hippie values and the eventual, you know, greed is good selling out aspects that, you know, certain there were there were bastions of um those folks that didn't that didn't do that but culturally like the, you know what is hunter assam to say the wave crashed back right something along those lines like and i think that that's important to note that this is the, one of the reasons why this is like a generational change for movie making it's also a generational change of generations and mindsets and coming from that you know floor up build your own uh you know become your own media build your own um uh, artifices and and don't trust like anything else to do anything other than profit for itself and it's that's a lot of things to put on invasion of the body snatchers i know but i think it does a great job of just low-key digging into all that while not being like you know one of my favorite movies of all time is network and that's definitely a hey stupid womp here it comes you know and it's beautiful because of that but this this does the same things but very surreptitiously yeah, I also love the fact that like everybody, like from the start of the movie, this people are just running around in the background acting weird uh, fr from jump. I mean, you got Robert Duvall as the priest on the swing uh, right at the beginning. Yeah, a little cameo, um, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's, he's, he was friends with the director and was just happened to be on set that day. And they're like, well, it's a horror movie. You're a priest. And 
<laughs> um, that, that, that's the that's where the whole scene came from. Uh, but but like I, I love that because because it does create this sense of paranoia. Uh, but also like like you know I was thinking because uh, because I watched this movie earlier this year. Um, and, and when we were debating whether we're going to do this body snatchers or the original, you know the original. Um, and I pushed for this one. It's because because I was uh, when I saw this, I, I immediately was thinking, you know, it like struck me like this is that kind of, um, you know, that that fear of bringing in neoliberalism because, you know, nobody nobody wanted neoliberalism. But like we didn't really have a choice. There were, there were a few. There were a few people. That yeah. I mean, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, uh, that... Jimmy Carter gets. OK. No, Jimmy. Yeah, no. Jimmy. Carter, no, 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 no. Jimmy... I don't want to get into it. No, 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 no. We're not doing this. Nope. this, is, this have, you ever, have you ever read? Yeah, anything it makes like, uh... He's not a neoliberal. But anyway, move on. He no. no. Jimmy Carter was hundred percent neoliberal. Yeah. Hey, the, he invented the post presidency, though. So that's yeah. I, I mean, I, like, I think he's, 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 Jimmy Carter is the one. You can the def- one post president that's redeemed himself. Yeah, you yeah. can separate like his presidency from you know. from who he is today. Like, like they are not the same person, okay. and I will fully admit that. Same thing with Al Gore, although he never actually got elected. But yeah, yeah. Even yeah. though he did win. Yeah, even though he did win. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I actually I, got body snatched when I was watching *Inconvenient Truth*. That's when they got my butt. Fell asleep, didn't you? I did. Well, all right. To be fair, I was very young. My my dad. We've had this conversation on the show before, but my dad um, does green architecture, and that's like you know. So he does like ecologically sustainable architecture. So when *An Inconvenient Truth* came out, and I was you know younger. He uh, had me go see it like um, like five different times. And the one time I remember seeing it with him, um, we were in Maine and they were there was this really cool, like tiny independent theater. But the, the thing that they did to fuck things up is that they had these really Little comfy. Flowers? No, well, no, so they had, they had these, these really comfy like couches instead of watching a movie on like, you know, uh, like theater seats or whatever. You could like lounge back in these on these big couches. And now everywhere has that. But like this is back when they didn't when they just had, you know, the normal theater seats in most places. And, like, I remember just lying back on this couch and then falling asleep watching An Inconvenient Truth and my dad being like, you missed the whole thing. You missed the whole thing. <laughs> I'm surprised it didn't take you to see Garbage Warrior, uh, the, the documentary about the guy who invented Earth ships. I feel like he didn't see that, but he definitely did see the... He, he, would, uh, he needs to see truth. Garbage Warrior. <laughs> you know what I find interesting, though, is the is is the whole, like, plant situation... And how like you can't you can't fall asleep. I'm like, how many shows have I been on for this podcast where we talk about dreams? Oh, only only shows where <laughs> they have the line. Let's get say apparently all of them. Yeah, don't sleep. <laughs> the, the ones you've been on are Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, was was the first one you were on? The Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet, and then this. So it's like every single yeah. one are movies that involve dreams, not falling you know asleep. You know what's funny though is remember that one amazing movie called The Happening with Mark Wahlberg and uh, Zoe De Chanel. Oh yeah, I remember it happened. Every time, every time I'm like, when the idea of like plants releasing toxins into the world and like controlling people or or killing people, I'm like, how many times has this been done? Because when I was watching Invasion of the Body Snatchers for the first time in a long time, I'm like, this like plant thing is kind of like been done before but yeah i gotta say though uh, nobody's done a plant invasion like marky mark Wahlberg's performance in that movie like that hi i'm gonna speak just like this the entire film oh god it's also, it's also funny there are four versions of this movie 
right? Yeah. I mean, this, yes. Which I think we can probably all agree that this is by far the best one, right? Oh I yeah. Never yeah. Made yeah. It don't talk about the cold Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I actually, I actually let, have soft spots for both those folks, but that is an awful movie. It's not. <laughs> it has some of the worst special effects too, like. Not that there isn't plenty of other things for it to yeah. be awful about, but I think I mean practical effects here like are you know generally king even when they're bad, and they're I, they're especially good here. Like it's creepy. I don't want to jump ahead, but like the whole birthing like pod scene, like oh my god, how many times have I seen this movie? And I was like, that's nasty. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean practical effects are just so. In my opinion, they're they're more realistic. I mean, you guys talked about Alien. We're going to be talking about Aliens later, and just. The new alien movies, they're not it's all CGI now, and yeah. it's just not scary. The aliens, they're just not scary. They they're not move. it's not wet enough. I, I mean, like, uh, I think Screamers was kind of smart whenever they used uh, the CG in that movie, and, and I wish more movies were kind of smart like that, uh, even though the 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 um the 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 CG looks terrible in that film because it's 1995. But uh, they they kept it for very short cuts. But but the bottom line is it's like like you can use CG as long as you're smart about it. And, and the yeah, problem yeah. is it's, is and they don't use don't... it as a crutch necessarily. Yeah, that's like yeah. The key. yeah. It's like oh we can't do this. We'll just have a quick cut where we you know you can see like this guy saw it in half. You yeah. know, which yeah. makes sense. You're reminding well, me of the lawnmower man was on cable the other day and I turned it on and I was like oh my god these are the worst these are these special effects are like worse than like the worst video game green screen picket <laughs> fences yeah it's pretty rough this movie also has the the guy that got spliced with the dog that's sitting outside that uh the banjo and the and, busker uh in, yeah. the, in the park yeah and so you know so this this movie kind of has some interesting I mean like it's interesting I just watching it in the pandemic um, you know, with uh, mm. with the whole idea of like the mRNA vaccines and like which I mean, not to say that they don't work, but like the, the conspiracy aspect of people being like they're just going to splice genes now and they're going to do something to us. And it's interesting to hear uh, Veronica Cartwright's character um, where she says, hold on, I wrote it. I wrote it down. But um, she's like, oh, they could get into our systems and start screwing up our genes like DNA, recombining us, changing us. And I remember I remember you heard um, this thing called Q. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But but it's like you know, um, I I like I like the fact that when it's a movie like this, right, and they start talking about conspiracy theories, it's always um, the characters aren't necessarily understanding what the conspiracy theory really is in the moment. And I like movies where they kind of spitball. So it's like you know, like you have the characters kind of realistically sitting around being like, well, it could be that these are aliens and they've come down from space, and the pods are the aliens, and then like you know, Jeff Goldblum's like really like flower aliens, like. And then they're like, oh, well, I didn't know that, you know, um, they're like, why does it always have to be metal ships? And he's like, I never yeah, thought it was and metal flowers. Ships. Yeah. So it's like all of these different, you guys ever read Dr. Seuss? Like, Jesus, no. <laughs> Horton here's a who. Um, no, but so I like, I like the spitballing aspect of it where, because I think that a lot of the, uh, the 70s political thrillers or, um, you know, the different kind of, um, it's always like an aesthetic, right? Like something's off and you don't know why. And everybody could be in on it. You know what I mean? And, and it makes sense because, you know, the CIA hearings, um, like all these different, uh, you know, trust and systems kind of evaporates. And we talked about that with Eileen Jones um, a, a few weeks ago, where we talked about kind of uh, neo-noir, which I think that the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers is famous for having like, you know, integrating parts of noir filmmaking into a sci-fi film. And so you kind of have this, this uh, destruction of, 
the idea of institutions and the idea of um, like like trust in in different places and having um, having Donald Sutherland is kind of the most uh, bureaucratic of the characters, right? Like he's the health inspector guy. He trusts the police are going to come. He trusts that his friend at the Justice Department is going to come save him. And then over time, you realize that like these institutions have all eroded away and everyone's kind of become pod people and uh, nobody's coming to save you. And it's an interesting, I mean, it's a very realistic, I think, uh, you know, erosion of that because it's not like it all happens at once. And it's not like every character is Jeff Goldblum and they're all like the CIA is in on it. The FBI is in on it from the jump. They don't trust anybody. It's that these characters all have different levels of trust. And then I think it wouldn't be as effective if it was because half the thing is sort of like, nobody's super confident in like what's happening. They know something's up and then, you know, that's kind of conflicting opinions, but everyone knows something is up, you know? So that's, that's what makes it interesting. What, what makes it more effective as a kind of that style of movie is that, is, uh, is that I think personally, I, I, I'm really mad that this is my friend Zach that comments on our show a lot that like, but I'm really mad that I just read this as Dave Rubin. I was like, you think about it. The woke agenda really wants to put you to sleep and to confiscate your freedoms and individuality, just like just like the body snatchers. <laughs> I, I know. Um, my, my favorite thing uh, with the uh, the conspiracy okay. theories is whatever she says is it's just like when the aliens came down and had sex with the monkeys. <laughs> just like yeah. Um, and, and that actually uh, there's a there's a song by Dan Byrne, and if you don't know Dan Byrne, uh, but you know the movie Walk the Line, he wrote uh the music for that movie. Uh, you know, a lot of the lyrics. Um, and uh, I saw him back in 97. He got an entire hillside of people, thousands of people singing, aliens came, they fucked the monkeys, they fucked the monkeys. Um, and they got booted from that folk festival, never to return. <laughs> but, um, walk hard, not walk the line. Walk the line. Oh, sorry, hard. sorry. You're right. Yes, walk hard, my bad. The Dewey Cox story. Yeah, which, which I mentioned, uh, was it? Wait, what, 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 it must have been Crossroads. We were talking about that, right? Yeah, it was. It was yeah. very oh, I was going to no. say, I was going to say, nobody, no one even remembers which show is which at this point. Yeah, it's like, it. last time we did the thing with the stuff. Remember when we did that? That was great. Well, you, well, you and I, you and I did. This is Revolution last week. We did uh, Kenzo. We did our new Sabbath Cipher show, which you know, watch that on Saturdays. We talked about. Uh, um, well, I went on Meet the Left, so I've been on like three different shows in the last week. On top of this one, but we actually talked about Christina's um, MK Ultra stuff on uh, on Meet the Left the other day. Which yes, I, I highly recommend Bailey Sarian's Dark History podcast because we talked we we uh, covered Rosewood Massacre. Uh, we talked about the history of birth control and how they experimented on Puerto Rican women and how the fertility uh, fertility rate is like down by eleven percent. Like we talked about a whole bunch of stuff on my stream. Most of it's like dark stuff, but uh, with an entertainment aspect to it, so it doesn't seem very overwhelming because it can't get overwhelming. Well, speaking of an entertainment aspect, bringing it back to body snatchers. <laughs> Let's get entertaining. Um, no. I have no. I so I have. This, this is so. This is uh, the director talking about, um, and this is from like a, a making of thing from the DVD extras, talking about kind of the more new age aspects of it, and that are numerous character as kind of a new age uh, therapist. Um, Philip Kaufman, by the way, the director, who also did the right stuff, which is incredible. And like, he's much more well-known for that movie. And unfortunately for good reason, because that movie kills. But like, 
I think this is probably a more surreptitious. I just want to name name them because I think those are great movies and people don't really be like, oh, you, is he related to Charlie Kaufman? No, he's not related to Charlie Kaufman. Maybe he is actually. I don't know. Also, no. he and his he and his probably wife not. both make uh, he and his wife Rose both make um, cameos in, yep. in Invasion of the Body Snatchers yep. when they're in the bookstore listening to Leonard Nimoy. So it makes it interesting. They're kind of talking this through um, uh, in this making of uh, documentary. But I, I think that it's um, I don't know. I find the New Age stuff fascinating because. Um, my parents both kind of had gotten into like a more new age understanding of things. And I don't think that's always a, a, a bad thing, but like, you know, as people kind of did self-exploration, um, I think that it kind of, uh, subverted the idea of radical politics altogether. And, uh, people that might've, people that might've been more subject to kind of talking about class or people that might've been more subject to talking about like materialist, um, materialist analysis, suddenly we're talking about, you know, a, a retreat into themselves. So this is this is that clip. Lived in San Francisco, and uh, you know it's my favorite city, uh, really my favorite city in the world. And it seemed like the right place, you know. It had that kind of San Francisco, slightly offbeat quality, which the characters in the movie have. You know, Jeff Goldblum's a failed poet, and Kibner's a sort of goofy psychologist who writes self-help books and things. You know, it, it all had a kind of nice san francisco air to it the context of the movie was in a kind of a feel-good uh, therapy atmosphere where uh, hugging and explaining away all your problems as sort of psychological projections of these inner things all that stuff was very current at the time it was a time when we still believed sort of that we could affect something in this country. We'd grown so disillusioned with the larger society around us, with the treachery of the government, with things that just weren't working right, that this big inward look started taking place, the me generation, a huge cliche of pop culture. But nevertheless, people were closing off under sort of cover of we're all reaching out to find out who we are and to be one kind of, you know, one earth, one planet. But to get there, you have this sense of, I got to find out who I am first. I've got to become very self-centered, very inward directed and looking in. 1978, sort of the end of a kind of hippie era, you know, there was still, you know, a residue of that. But there were also, as exemplified by Leonard Nimoy, the kind of pop psychologists who were uh, uh, telling everybody to relax. Everything's going to be OK. Take it easy. In a sense, trying to humanize people by dehumanizing them in some way. He did a lot of, you know, uh, uh, little variations on that character. Leonard Nimoy, he was, he was terrific. He was, he was a lot of fun. Um, and of course, coming off of, you know, Star Trek, which he had been on, and that's automatically what you think. There's a little bit of the sternness of Spock in there, but there's that softness that Leonard added of the Birkenstock sandals and the arm pads and, you know, little thing he wears on his hand and the soft tailoring and the soothing voice. You know, he turned into a, a, a really interesting character. The last person you might think would become a pod becomes one of the early pods. Don't be trapped by old concepts. You're evolving into a new life form. That's right. A yes. cyber life form. One of us. One of us. <laughs> um, no, there's also there's also kind of um, 
I, I really like that there's to the character of uh, at least at least in that scene, right? Like that don't get trapped by old concepts. There's like a very postmodernist um, aspect to that, which is kind of really funny. Like looking at you know postmodernism as as kind of a an ideology that really. And I remember we talked about this with a woman under the influence and whether that was kind of a postmodernist film and Cassavetes, and we had that whole conversation. So it's interesting to kind of have um, uh, Leonard Nimoy. As, as he's basically telling Donald Sutherland's character that, like, you know, he's going to be absorbed into the pod as he's going to become one of them. He's like, oh, don't be don't be so um, wrapped up in old concepts. He's kind of a postmodernist villain, which is kind of a, a fascinating way to do it, because I think a lot of times when you uh, apply postmodernism to everyday life, it kind of becomes bullshit. So um, having his character kind of literally kind of saying that by being like, listen, old concepts are dead. We're evolving. But it's like. Yeah, revolving into fucking aliens. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I uh, first saw this movie when I was five, and um, I thought that uh, he was playing Doctor Spock in this movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I watched a lot of really weird movies I shouldn't have when I was young. <laughs> Same. I was like seven, watching Alien and Alien thinking, "Ooh, chest burster scene." <laughs> But you know what's you know what's interesting though about like this new age stuff? It's the new age hippie types who turn into boomers who have gotten sucked into all the weird batshit conspiracy theories of today. Class too. Like I just don't understand like how it's possible that they can believe all this shit. It's on Facebook. Well, I mean one yeah. (laughs) That's literally it. It's on Facebook. One thing yep. that's fascinating to me about the kind of the, the boomer generation and um, the clash they kind of had with like the greatest generation, the you know, World War II generation, like, or, you know, their parents, grandparents, like the, the generational class um, kind of takes over for the idea of class warfare. Like the idea that kind of anything can change materially between the classes suddenly becomes um, old men are sending you to war, which is like the thing that they care the most about in, in the moment. Don't trust anybody over 30. And corporations are perfectly fine taking that messaging over. Corporations are perfectly fine taking over advertising. Like, oh, we're something hip. We're something cool. We're something for you. Rather than um, a more, I mean, you know, no no corporation will ever be comfortable talking about class conflicts. Like, so as the new left kind of takes over as a force uh, during the the boomer thing, and they start kind of giving away things and not really understanding that libertarians um, don't have anything in common with, you know, socialists or or even like democratic socialists like that are rejecting kind of the idea of um like uh what they see as kind of a stalinist like communism and are kind of moving towards the uh you know the the more democratic socialist definition of that or they're they're giving things away like piece by piece you know what i mean and the 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 generational clash kind of takes over for the uh class conflict that could exist i don't know i was i was I, i think i was really sick the other day um with this ear infection and and that was going through my mind like i was thinking about this and i was like trying to and like i i <laughs> i had like a, a like a planet of the apes almost like uh fever moment where i was trying to construct that and i was thinking about that line don't don't anybody third it was like a long uh like dialogue in my head about how to say that but i'm happy that it came back up in this I I would love to hear everybody's thoughts, opinions, and theories on Leonard Nimoy's glove in this scene that doesn't seem to be related to much of anything, but is very unique looking. Do we know what kind of glove that is? 
Yeah. Well, he becomes Freddy Krueger a decade later. No. There you go. <laughs> it's almost like a archery glove, except he's wearing it backwards. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know. know. Okay, just thought I'd bring that up. Carry on. <laughs> you tell him to relax, and he's like, see, I'm not even wearing my gloves correctly. I'm not even wearing my weird sex glove. I'm, I'm wearing, uh, we're going to watch see some feet here, but I'm wearing my Rudolph. Socks, so explain yeah, that. feet on stream. <laughs> oh man, I just have to. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe um, just like it's relaxing to have your favorite uh, appendage apparel when you're discussing, you know, the imminent invasion by aliens. I don't know. Maybe. You see, actually, the, the truth is that you know, blood flow is an interesting thing, right? And psychologically speaking, constricting the blood flow to your hands. Actually, the rest of your body gets quite. Uh, no, I don't. Know. <laughs> I, I can see that. There, there probably was the like some. Though. There's probably a YouTube video about this exact topic somewhere right now. That's being, there. You go. Look it up now. Let's see. Yeah, or or like a trend that. That, that we missed that 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 happened in the 70s about that glove. Um, yeah. And, and we just don't know about it because we're just too young. Because because I was I was in Turkey when this movie came out. Mm. That's a weird flex, but okay. Nobody else. I put it on Instagram. Everyone's like, ha ha. I'm like, I'm legitimately asking what manner of glove is this? I was like, you that's see, hilarious. The, the truth is, the truth is that he was trying to show everyone he couldn't possibly be the pod person because if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. <laughs> All right. There we go. That's right. These are the jokes. <laughs> At least hey, no one was I'm wearing this ring. Podcast. Nope. Forrest Miller. How's it going? Nice. Nice. Well, there's yeah. a flex. Cancel the Forrest Miller story. <laughs> anti glove. I actually am anti glove. I have uh, a circulation. <laughs> I have a, I'm sorry. I, I can't get you with a big uh, I, I have Renaud's phenomenon, which is like the circulation problem where your hands and your, like, your appendages get colder than the rest of your body. And, the and blood that's why you can't wear a condom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I gotta hit it raw. I have a, I have, I have Renaud's good, Andy. <laughs> oh, gotta go. Um, no. So <laughs> I don't even know where to go from there. I'll be honest. Well, I, I, <laughs> look, I can tag it and keep it going, but I'm not going to. You get another clip to get us going. <laughs> you get any more of those clips? <laughs> I do, but not that I'm trying to pull up just yet or pull out just yet. But I mean, do you, Christina, do you agree that like this is a good atmosphere movie? Like this is this is all about like the atmosphere for me. You would you agree with that? Yeah, I just it's just like there there's like this eerie feeling that something is clearly wrong. Like listen to the people, they are screaming, they are running, there is chaos in the city, there is insanity in the chat room. Like just listen to the dude. Like listen. <laughs> Yeah, there's like seven parallel movies happening at the same time of, of yeah, you know, like you can, you can and, and make this be more than it's a sci-fi film. Like there's thriller elements to it. There's clearly horror elements to it. But that's the beauty of sci-fi is that it takes just a little bit of all your favorite like horror genres and like puts it all in all together. Yeah, you probably didn't expect as much mud bath content as is in this movie uh, when you first started it. Maybe you did. I don't know. I don't know what you expect, but I yeah, I also like how like uh an alien they don't explain like the life cycle of the alien. And this movie they don't explain the life cycle of the pods. You you kind of get it through um uh watching each step, uh, you know, 
uh, the, the, you know, they're giving it to you like dribs and drabs. And then, you know, you finally see like the whole birthing scene, which is kind of, you know, horrific um, yeah. with like those weird, like Donald Sutherland fetus. <laughs> well, all right. So I'll, 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 I'll throw this in there about the mud baths. Um, you know, as, as this kind of idea about pop psychology takes over. It helps your kind of circulation. No, but as these ideas about like pop pop psychology take over, as these kind of um, retreat into the self, right? Like retreat into this like neoliberal idea of um, the individual self being the thing that's uh, life changing. I mean, mud baths are one of the things, right? Like it's self care. Um, Mm -hmm. So kind of uh, having like that's an atmosphere where people are at their most relaxed. It's an atmosphere where people have you ever been to a spa, guys? It's great. We have tons of mud baths. Can you read a book for apparently hours at a time when you're in it, like that one dude does? (laughs) That one guy also uh, he's reading. um, I love reading. Fuck you. He's reading when worlds collide, like the the book. I think that yeah. So it's a fitting. Yeah. (laughs) Um, No, but so it's kind of this idea of like self care, and you know, before we kind of hit this uh, really, really um, kind of the, the the worst form of it, which is now I think where you know. Uh, there's like the Elizabeth Warren, like, oh, you know, self-care can, uh, you know, take take care of yourself. Don't let that guy ghost you. And it somehow uh, takes precedence over politics itself. But, you know, the 70s are kind of the start of that. It's kind of new age, um, new age idea that somehow taking care of yourself can take care of the world. Which is So, so after Elizabeth Warren backed out of the, the race, you're saying she became a pod person. Mm. Yeah. Well, no, Elizabeth Warren was always a pod person. She was the first one. <sighs> okay. <laughs> she was a she was a native, as they say. Guys, come on. If there's any pod person in that race, it would have been Pete Buttigieg. We all know that. He's a legal for him to show emotion. Who that? Who that? Did you know that did you know that uh Pete Buttigieg's dad was a uh Gramscian scholar and was friends with Richard Wolf? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cornell West used to babysit him. Yeah. Like like how wild is that? You go from Cornell West babysitting you to like the most anti like uh, like, 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 just, just like, what kind of rebellion are you going through to become like, like your dream to be a middle manager? Alex oh. P. Keaton. <laughs> well, um, Kamala Harris also, her yeah. father was also a, a Marxist, like academic. So and do, do you know what uh, his father's name is, or her father's name is? I'm sorry. Donald Harris is uh... Donald J. Harris. Mm. <laughs> Donald his name Harris. is John. Uh, Donald, I actually don't remember what his Donald middle name <laughs> but, 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 but his middle initial is J, and that's just hilarious. So, that, that's uh, the joke? Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I got I got the Trump reference. But, um, no, but, yes. so I, right. no, so it, it's kind of fascinating. Um, Richard Wolf was really good friends with Pete Buttigieg's dad. And uh, so Pete Buttigieg's dad was the person in charge of the Gramscian Society, which is the academics that translated the works of Gramsci. Who is the you know the Marxist uh, the Italian Marxist that came up with like the concept of hegemony? Um, so it's kind of it, there were two separate uh, two separate centrist presidential candidates that um, were rebelling against Marxist academic parents uh, mm. by and and uh, Kamala Harris's uh, dad is still alive and kind of uh, disavowed her when she was running for president. Like I don't yeah. know. What the fuck yeah, it's actually Jasper. Is. It's Donald Jasper, Jasper Harris, but. Oh. Mm. But yeah, imagine you're growing up with a Marxist as a parent. That's cool and all. And then you grow up to be a pod person. <laughs> How boring. People are talking about it more and more. 
<sighs> you heard it here. Pete Buttigieg. Pete Pod. Exactly. It was, it was actually, it's the post-credit scene of the Pete Buttigieg documentary, actually, as they reveal that. Oh, I, I turned people. it off because I couldn't stand anymore. I got oh, it. God, the fake burning was... I, I wouldn't watch those with borrowed eyes, by the way. There's no... <laughs> watch that shit. Yeah, I, 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 felt, I felt really bad that they fucking did this, but um, Gab and Kitty, for their new uh, Final Girls, the second episode they did, they watched the people who did this documentary and talked about it. And like I was like I was like, listen, you couldn't fucking pay me to do that. <laughs> Ray Vaughn was like live not. tweeting it, and I'm like, wait, they actually have someone impersonating Bernie? What's happening here? Like, what are you watching? I mean, I, I did it so I could troll Buttigieg people. Pete Buttigieg also uh, wrote an essay when he was a when he was a um, a high school student about how great Bernie Sanders is. Yeah, yeah, that I remember. You can't tell no, me he's not a pod person. It was it was because like the, all the other topics were taken. If you actually read into it, like like that was the reasoning why. It's because like the other politicians you wanted to write about were already taken for this essay contest, and and like like hearing more about it, I'm just like it's getting lamer and lamer. People, you should have just you should have just left it. <laughs> yeah, if I was if I was Bernie, I would have just like relentlessly talked shit and be like, "Don't you have an essay to write about how great I am?" Yeah. <laughs> look, look. I'm angry. I know that dude's name, so I'm sorry I brought it up. Although I thought. It was <laughs> like, let's 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 move name, on. He's a pod person. Pod, right? Pod, yeah. pod Buddha Judge. Right. Exactly. There we go. <laughs> All right. So Covered by Pod Save another... America. I'm sure. Go ahead. <laughs> Listen, this is this is uh they're gonna duplicate all podcasts and we're gonna be stuck, you know. Exactly. But anyway, um this is this is uh another clip about um the, the story that they were trying to tell. So this is the last one I have from this uh this uh invasion of the body snatchers making of. So let's try to get this conversation on track. The idea of the pod became uh a symbol or a metaphor of uh the standardized thing that the, the culture was asking of us. It was asking us all to create a new mass culture, something that would work on the world scale. And in order to do that, you had to sacrifice some individuality. So you had to get squeezed down into some kind of a pod. And that's one of the interesting paradox of, of, of the film is that um, these things, these elements of individuality uh, are sort of shunned by pods. There's no need for hate now or love. I love you, Matthew. Uh, when I think about what might have inspired me or Phil or all of us to make this version, I don't think of science fiction uh, because science fiction tended to be drifting toward big pyrotechnical effects and larger than life uh, dangers and monsters and threats and the budgets were going up. And we were really interested in a human story here. Our Body Snatchers is really about, uh, you know, characters and developing that human thing. I always viewed it as sort of a tragic love story between Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, but also between a band of friends, uh, you know, all of whom in one way or another love each other. There's a, a nice moment where uh, uh, Donald Sutherland has uh, Elizabeth, uh, the character Elizabeth, uh, roll her eyes around in her head. And, and although it's a crazy thing, to him it proves she's not crazy. If you're not crazy, you can do the thing with your eyes. 
The, you, it didn't show it. That's like the, one of the best parts of the movie. It's so right. yeah, I love it. They did, yeah, they didn't. They didn't show it after that. It's just the thing she does. She's like, I can't. I can't even begin to impersonate. It's just the thing that the actress had was able to do. I, it's, it, it it's makes me wonder. Like, it makes me wonder where that where that. Uh, no, she does. Like, they go like this. like it is pretty crazy. But it yeah, makes but, me I wonder mean, where they thought of that because it wasn't just that she showed Donald Sutherland that she could do that, and then he's like, yeah. you should add this to the movie, or was it just kind of like a what can you do that's just what can you do. I need to ask you what what can you do? What's a what's a unique? Uh... <laughs> Brooke Adams is like I can do this. Oh, you got the job. There <laughs> You're six, in. <laughs> there there are six other actresses, and they just looked at me blankly. You did that. Which yeah, yeah. It's, it's like Elizabeth Montgomery and the nose twitch. Yes, yes. <laughs> which is really is not that difficult to do. No, but she probably just thought of doing it and like, oh, yeah, that's your thing. That's your thing. You're known like, for you it. literally have to like move your mouth. Like, it's not really that difficult, guys. <laughs> Girls are like doing this. I'm like, no. Half woman, half rabbit. Yeah. yeah. They, they were going to give this role to Margot Kidder, and then Brooke Adams comes in with his eye thing. It's just, it's wild, you know? Yeah. But I love <laughs> that it's not, it comes not in, they're like, deal. Can you, do any, can you do any cool things with your tongue? And she's like, what are you talking about? And they're like, all right, I guess we'll give it to the eyes, girl. <laughs> <laughs> so, so do you think that uh, uh, Brooks, uh, Brooks Adams and Donald Sutherland's characters were having an affair in the movie? Like he wanted to. Mm. No, she seemed she seemed devoted to the boyfriend, and he seemed like as her boss. He was like, "Oh, your boyfriend's a dentist. He's lame as fuck." Like, you know what I mean? Like he was he's kind of just a lonely character and was flirting with her the whole movie. And I don't I don't. I never got the vibe they were having an affair. I got the the vibe that he wanted her to leave the boyfriend and get with him. And the whole movie, she's like, "Oh, my boyfriend's kind of a, a great guy. I live with him." And he's like, he's like sitting there at the end of the night, and he's like, "God damn it, I should call her." But how can I get her to work at seven thirty a.m. so we can hang out for the rest of the day? Mm. He's doing that. He's nagging. He's nagging the boyfriend the whole. I mean, the beginning of it. He's, you know what I mean. He's being like, "Yeah, well, your boyfriend's fucking lame. Your boyfriend's fucking lame." And she's like, "Yeah, but you know, we usually hang out." And he's like, "Nah, your boyfriend's lame." Like, I, I got the feeling that he's just kind of trying to get her to leave him. I like the best when he said, honey, you need to drop the zero and get with the hero. I think that was the best <laughs> Christina, what do you think about all that? So, I mean, I, said, no, I, think you're, I think you're right, though. Like, <laughs> the hero to zero thing. I mean, I don't really think it's, it's not like a... Like an Andrew Cuomo thing, you know, with involved with his career or whatnot. But like, you know, like I'm CIA, I'm better than a dentist, whatever. But it's, but like trusting cops or whatever. But I don't think I. I mean, it's like what they said. It is kind of a bit of a love story, but like, there's no indication that something else was going on behind the scenes or between the sheets. <laughs> Well, I, I just the whole movie. I got the feeling that he wanted something to happen behind the scenes, and she He's was a little kinda, thirsty for it. it yeah, yeah. She, was like, she, was, yeah. she was she was flirting with him a little bit, but like you know the way that you flirt with like a, a coworker or something, and don't really think about it as anything serious. And I, the whole movie, I was feeling like he wanted something serious, and then he's kind of like pulling back and stuff. Like honestly, you know, I, I would though. I mean, it's Donald Sutherland. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah, give that mustache a ride. Has, do you think this movie has a direct connection to Ratatouille? Um, or are we talking about Pete Buttigieg again? No, well, the scene, no. <laughs> well, I know, I, I know there's a lot of references specifically to this version that have been made throughout history. Like, even SpongeBob's Great Parents did a whole episode about it with the jellyfish. And I'm like, I've seen this before. 
no, the whole, the whole, the whole uh, capers rat turd thing. I just kept thinking about ratatouille, and like it would be really funny if the French restaurant had had like a rat just making the food behind the scenes, and just like that, you know what I mean? Like accidentally got a rat turd in there, and he's like, "This is a, this is a caper. This is a rat turd." He leaves, and then fucking ratatouille comes out. Mom, we got more food. Uh, I just, you know. All right, whatever. I thought it was funny. I. <laughs> it took years for that spinoff to occur. <laughs> I just think it's interesting. I just think it's interesting that this specific version is like more more famous than the original. It really shows that you can make a seat like a, a remake better than the original. Yeah, and how it's meant, how it's popped up in our pop culture throughout the decades. Like I, I sometimes I forgot that there was an original Body Snatchers movie. Like, that's how this movie has kind of, like, stood the test of time. And, and to uh, steal Conan's thunder with that idea, this is like the tainted love of, of body snatcher movies. <laughs> well, I mean, think about, yeah, so what else is there, right? Scarface, maybe, right? Like, Scarface, like, people don't realize yeah. that that's, that's a remake. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would argue Battlestar Galactica, you know, not <laughs> a movie, but... People forget that it's even based on the 70s show a lot of times. Yeah, well, the 70s show never really had a chance to. Also, spread isn't the thing? The thing's a remake, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the, well, the, the blob too, but I don't know if that's a better remake, my opinion. I mean, the effects yeah. are interesting. Yeah, the effects are better, but it's, yeah, I agree. But also, too, their West Side Story, they're saying that this new remake directed by Steven Spielberg is actually better than the original. I'm like, yay, good, because getting. Latin actors to get spray tans, even though they're already have darker complexions, is ridiculous in my opinion. Like, why would why why would Rita need a spray tan? Is that why? Uh, is that why Steven Sondheim dropped dead? He no, he actually loved the remake. Like, he actually time. loved it. I'm like, good, but still, like, you, it's like movies like Body Snatchers. It shows that you can make remakes that are better than the originals. You just yeah. gotta Not so do it right. You gotta, well, you, you gotta, I, I think, you gotta be inventive. <laughs> yes, I, I think that whether whether it's better or not better, or like I, I think that that conversation is almost irrelevant. Is do you have something to say about the time period you're living in? And I, I think that the, the fact that um, I mean, like even when they talk about you know the the remake after that, um, which I guess JG Michaels thinks is one of the best. I haven't seen it, but he thinks is one of the best uh, versions of it. But like, it is interesting that each each um. Each time it gets remade, the question isn't really, is this going to be better? It's going to be, do you have something to say about the political situation, the aesthetic of uh, the community at large? And it, and it feels like the 1990s one didn't really have something to say as much about um, that time period. So this movie kind of, as a, as a movie about Watergate uh, paranoia, as a movie about kind of the lack of trust in institutions, this movie has kind of, you know, the creeping influence of material, like neoliberalism and like, you know... Um, which, because if you read like uh, David Harvey, like, anything by him, it's like, like get ready, it's coming. Neo, that goddamn neoliberalism. No, but like, so David Harvey's uh, history of like neoliberalism, like he wrote a couple, like he wrote a bunch of stuff on that, and is as much a kind of a psychological phenomenon and like an individualist phenomenon as it is um, a political one or an economic one. So part of the the creeping influence of neoliberalism is like a, a psychological. Um, turn towards you know thinking of the individual thinking of the self as more important than political 
thinking of the individual as more important than the collectivist or the material, like in the sense of like, you know, the Marxist materialist uh, idea. And this movie kind of, you know, it hits that right on the head. I don't necessarily think that they would put that in those words, but like the, the turn towards the self, the turn towards the individualist is as much a part of the, the groundwork uh, of neoliberalism as the actual economic um, obsession with free markets, as the, uh, you know, the obsession with uh, consumerism. It kind of, that, that psychological state where it's like even the most um, quote unquote radical people are thinking that there's some kind of radical self-transformation that they can make or thinking about selling out as something good. The transformation to like, you know, hippies being yuppies. Um, it is, I think, as important in a lot of ways to our turn towards neoliberalism as anything else really is. So this yeah. movie kind of captures that perfectly, as does yeah. Dawn of the Dead. And um, I, which, yeah, and I think that's where some of these movies actually don't work when they don't have like that underlying like political messaging. Like, what the f what the fuck was the happening about? Was there really any like political right. uh, belly that was? No, not really. <laughs> Nobody cared. Yeah, exactly. So, like, when you have films like Dawn of the Dead, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, even with, like, even with Aliens, you know, in the Alien franchise, you know, there's some, like, political underlining. And in my opinion, that's what makes a hey, lot don't of give these... away your analysis just yet. Oh, I know. I'm not. Don't worry. But I just think, like, this is what makes some of those sci-fi, like, any type of film works. If there's something that's more bigger like just something that means more like there's yeah, more yeah, to this movie over. than yeah yeah <laughs> no, like, to speak about something that you can't normally speak about like if you speak mm -hmm. about it directly it, it gets no weird the, the, the kids if you, you can't speak about it they won't let you <laughs> can i just say for us that for all the world i thought you said the words psychological turd earlier and uh i was i was like did he get no he didn't say that Damn <laughs> but yeah like i said like it has it, a lot of these films they need to have some bigger messaging that you have to think about it can't be just about oh alien pods pod people there needs to be something bigger than that because it just, it just, my opinion, this just makes a lot of these movies better. Like it's not just your typical like monster movie. Well, I think it means more, and it, it means it means that if it's a well-made film, that it will stick with society longer, and that will uh, maybe have a larger impact than just like, hey, I saw this crazy ass movie the other day called Vase of the Body Snatchers. It's like, oh wow, this is deeply affecting, and somehow in a way that I can't even quite articulate, it seems important too. Yeah. That's why we want David Lynch films too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, totally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's also, it's also like, you know, I mean, I think um, the culture and the zeitgeist, and I hate that fucking term. I don't know why. I just have always thought it was just stupid. But the zeitgeist and the aesthetic kind of um, matter to what's terrifying to people in the moment as much as anything else. If you have nothing to say about what's going on in the world, and it's just kind of, oh, what can we kind of come up with that's terrifying? Like, we talked about this a lot um, when we talked about Halloween which is a really interesting example of it because it was taking something that people weren't thinking about as scary, which is like suburbia and saying like, isn't it terrifying if someone just kind of creeps into suburbia and starts killing people, everybody leaves their doors unlocked. Everyone kind of leaves their houses open. Like what if, what if something that wasn't terrifying suddenly became terrifying in the same way though, I think that this kind of captures um, a feeling for the first hour and, you know, even like hour and a half of this movie, this feeling of unease where you don't quite know what's, what's wrong. Um, but you know that, you know, these things are happening. People are suddenly changing and they're not quite like, 
even if you know that there's something going on with plants and and kind of pods and, and everything else like you're like i don't quite know what this is i don't quite it's know slow what these process are. yeah and like, like and i don't know really and it's very effective yeah yeah, yeah. And, and there's kind of an unwillingness, I think, throughout this to, you know, admit that our institutions are failing us. And that's a very uh, poignant, I think, uh, statement for the 70s in, in, in particular, where suddenly you're realizing, like, well, maybe the federal government's in it. Maybe the state government's in it, in on it. Like, maybe the city government's in on it. Maybe the police can help me. Maybe the police can't help me. Like, are they kind of taken over, too? Is there a wider conspiracy? And the idea that, you know... I think that we kind of uh, dismiss conspiracy theorists as kind of well. Really well like, now oh. we do because because conspiracy theorists have become something totally different, right? And conspiracy but theorists from, have become from like, the beginning. The point of conspiracy theories as a concept was a CIA um, kind of psyop, where it was like let's let's make it so that they're not going to believe that we're the people that are in charge. Let's just make these people sound crazy. So let's. When has the CIA ever made a project like a pet project like work? Well, I know the CIA is, is a deeply, uh, I mean, especially at this time period, but people yes. hadn't really realized it until this time period that like they were kind of just throwing darts at a board and hoping one of them would stick. Like it's everything from like mind control to like, how can we flood drugs into different communities? How can we like, it's all these different ideas that are just all over the place. And they're like, hopefully we get enough money that one of these ideas really works. Like they yeah. would, they would, I mean, how many assassination attempts did they have on Castro? Like, there were hundreds of assassination attempts on Castro. Some of them are fucking Looney Tunes ideas, where it's yeah. like, can we make an exploding cigar? Can yeah. we have somebody or just like, all the umbrella, like, how MK Ultra yeah, yeah. was an umbrella for like so many different experiments. Like they weren't just they wanted to do Robocast for God's sake. They didn't even train them. Why are you going to yeah. put a microchip in a cat that tries to control their mind and not train them? CIA, seriously? They didn't think it through. Uh, the- but that was a dolphin hand job, but I don't think they found that out so later. They had some lady that kept uh, giving dolphins a bunch of ecstasy and then jerking off the dolphin. Huh. And they, yeah, where's that, that biopic? <laughs> like, and jealousy. Dolphin yeah, they're, they're making it, right? Yeah, they're making they, they, No, they are making one about it. She was, she yeah. was deeply upset too because she kind of fell in love with the dolphin. Mm. This is embarrassing. <laughs> but there's a great dollop episode about it if you, if you want to know more. Okay, I don't. Uh, Matthew's <laughs> character, though, is like very important because I think he has the face in these institutions, right? Clearly, like you mentioned, the fact that like, oh, the cops will do it. Uh, you know, they'll 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 sort this out. Oh no, the federal government will. Like you kind of get to see that in real time. And I think the fact that he's a guy that is ultimately an institutionalist, and he get you get to see his sort of crushing disappointment and like realizations in real time makes it more effective. Not that it's like necessarily abjectly political in that way, but just in the way that it was in the miasma of, of that time. Right. And I think that makes it, that makes it better than if it was like heavy handed. And I, I say that in a way that like, you know, I love like three days of the condor parallax view, like all that, you know, all of those like deep, like good, actual, like good, good podcast. One of the, one of the, um, <laughs> actually, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. My, the two podcasts that I, uh, that I give money to on Patreon is Christina's, um, Christina's Twitch, $5 a month on that. And then $5 a month on Parallax view. You know, speaking <laughs> of which, you know, before, before we get too uh, far off the subject, if you have an Amazon Prime account, please subscribe to our channel. Because yes. that does something. And I don't quite it's know why. It's free. But Jeff Bezos ends up paying yeah, us. That's Jeff what Bezos happens. pays us. If you do that, it doesn't cost you anything. So, so. Give, give them your Bezos bucks. Yes. This sounds like a, uh, a, a so. pod. This sounds like a pod plot to me. 
<laughs> As a matter of fact, it is, yeah. But, yeah, uh, but it is, but it's a good one. Yeah, so Frankie so, said said to subscribe, by the way. Look at look at that face. Oh cute. He's, so, he's so but, but the Matthew character, I think it, it, it means, I think one of the reasons why his character had uh, those thoughts Frankie. and, and uh, dealt with things in the way that he did is to be like a stand in for the audience who felt that way, who maybe, and remember that like, it wasn't like the, it wasn't assumed that institutions will fail us at the time, right? There still was like some degree of a hope misplaced such as it was for, by a lot of folks. Now that's not to say that everyone felt that way. It's probably just as many Jeff Goldblum types watching this as there were um, Donald Sutherland types. But I think it's more effective that they had at least one person and it to be like basically the main character who's sort of like, oh no, no, you know, these, these guys will sort it out. Oh, these guys will sort it out. It's like, oh yeah, no one's coming. No yeah. one's coming. No, that's no, what it comes. Having a having kind of a spectrum, <laughs> a spectrum of the main characters, right? Yeah. And interestingly, exactly. in this, none of them are nobody in this movie that's one of the main characters is uh unlikable. You know what I mean? Like right. I, I I find Donald Sutherland likable. Um, you know, Brooke Adams is likable, Jeff Goldblum is always likable. I don't give a fuck. He could except, <laughs> you know, maybe not when he's a rapist, but um like you but know exception that proves an otherwise sound rule, yes. <laughs> but like I, so you know, even even Jeff Goldblum's most uh, conspiracy-minded takes, you're still like, well, all of this is conceivable throughout the plot. And he's just asking have, questions. No, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> to have, and I also really, I really love the fact that, um, you know, like Jeff Goldblum's wife in this survives to the end, um, just to obviously have us realize that uh, Donald Sutherland has been is also a pod person. But like by the end of it, but like it's interesting that there's kind of these layers of things, and it's kind of it feels heartbreaking when um when uh you know Leonard Nimoy's character comes in and you see him with Jeff Goldblum's character, yeah. and they walk in together, and you're like, oh shit, like this person who was kind of the most individualist character I think throughout of it throughout the movie, and kind of his um I think throughout his life seems like he's a little bit um seems kind of uh like he hasn't succeeded because of that right like his conspiracy mind in this he doesn't get to read his, his poetry at the at the book reading and he thought he would and you know Leonard Nimoy's character kind of just like doms him throughout it like he thinks he's going to get to go there and read his poetry he doesn't get to do that Jeff Gold, um, Leonard Nimoy throws him into a wall like he seems like he's kind of the most kicked around character but like to realize that that's kind of the most individual of spirit which makes sense that San Francisco in that sense like he's like this like failed poet um it's heartbreaking when he finally comes in and you realize like he's the one that's kind of um, not on purpose because he's just turned into a pod person, but his pod person has like stuck the knife into Donald Sutherland's character who Donald Sutherland's character is obviously the one that trusts the institutions the most he refuses to even give up on the fact that institutions are to be trusted. Like he's still like, well, there has to be some institution above this institution, above this one, whether it's the DOJ, whether it's the city government, whether it's the police that are going to like save us in the end. And he's the one that has to realize Number one, that he got like fucked over in the end by Jeff Goldblum's pod person, not Jeff Goldblum himself, but his own, like, you know, his own friend that's the least trusting of, of institutions got got before he did. And on top of that, he realizes there is no institution that can save him. Well, they're, they're both like liberals. I mean, not liberals, but but boomers. Like you have the liberal yeah. with Donald Sutherland and then Jeff Goldblum's, uh, uh, unfortunately, what became of the conservative. Like they think that they're this free spirit. They think that they're free. But they're really just, you know, a pod person who's who's working for, uh, you know, working against everybody. Um, well, I don't. I I, I kind of disagree with that. I think that. I, I don't think that that's the. I mean, I mean like, like, 
Yeah, what, I, I think that's what he became, though, is, is uh, you know, he started off as, as like, he's, he's Johnny Rotten, is what he is. He thinks he's fighting against the system, but then he becomes a Trump supporter. Well, yeah, I think he just, I think he just falls asleep and gets got. I don't, I don't think that they're trying to overall make that point. I, I yes. more, <laughs> I'm more trying to make that point about Johnny Rotten and Trump. Yeah. I forgot how old Donald Sutherland actually is. He's like, what, 90? Almost? He's pushing there, right? Yeah. He's, he's done a he's ton like, of stuff. I know that. It's like, it's like almost 200 films. But Yeah, um, he's like in his 40s in this film, I think. Late 30s, early 40s. See, I, I don't think that they're trying to make a point about Jeff Goldblum's character the entire movie. I think they're <laughs> trying to show that there's kind of an inevitable turn towards this... Um, like, no, like everybody's kind of turning into a pod person. It's like, I think, I think with 86. Wait, how old is he? He's 86. Damn, he's still going too. What a man. <laughs> what a man. What a man. He's, uh, he, he feels like someone who's had a career that he's um very conscious about too. Like, yeah, he did uh, about the Gettys, the Getty family. The uh the kidnapping of the grandson, he played the uh the grandfather, and I'm like, he's out here banging whores and stuff like that. Like, you go, dude. <laughs> and, and then in the nineties, like, he was a uh, master in, of puppets. Yeah. Just being in something as I think um as conscious as like JFK, like the fact that he was kind of the uh he's Mr. X and that, and and the fact that I mean Hunger Games, I think, is is another um, is is another series that I don't necessarily think. I mean, it's it's mainstream, but it's still like one that has a political leaning. And it's interesting that so many of these movies that Donald Sutherland seems to uh, appear in has a, a political leaning that seems to like you know coincide with his own. Like they're not talking to a lot of the actors and actresses that were in other movies um, that he's kind of taking an interest in and saying mm -hmm. like, oh well, can you explain like the politics of this? And Donald Sutherland seems to be one of those actors that. Is very conscious of that when he takes a role. Yeah, I mean he's one of, he's one of the greats. He's like one of the greats for like, uh, like like the new Hollywood like era of like the sixties and seventies where you had the Scorseses of the world coming out with directing films and stuff that's more nitty gritty. Yeah, and he did he, didn't he do Animal House? He did. Yeah. yeah. And, um... Around this time, he also did uh, he did ordinary people like Eye of the Needle. There's, there's a bunch of stuff he did, Mash. and then and then let's Animal not forget House like also, Animal House is also 1978. I'm pretty sure too, right? It's, uh, it's, I I believe I, th I think this came out the same year. Yeah, which yeah. Is, Whew, he's busy. Pretty crazy ass year. For yeah, him. no, no. Okay, get this, get this. I'm looking at his uh, filmography right now. He did Blood Relatives, Animal House, The Great Train Robbery, and Invasion of Body Snatchers in 1978. All came out that year. Damn. Where's that matchup? He's uh he's doing he's doing more projects than uh Rene Rune. Yeah, the cocaine, <laughs> the cocaine in the 70s must have been good. I also I also I gotta say, um, when they go into the drawer and the one guy that's uh the guy that's working with them, when they go into the drawer and invasion of the body snatchers, and they're like, Oh, it's speed. Um, don't worry, like like the other guy, the other inspector, I think, that you see um take over when she's doing it in the beginning, it doesn't show up. As early as Donald Sutherland wants, um, which he's clearly just trying to get her to show up that early to like be like, oh well, I could get her to show up early, like you know what I mean? Like that's kind of yeah, it's it's like a mundane petty despot power move, yeah, yeah. But but like, so she looks in the drawer and there's a guy with the speed in his drawer, and like as someone that's on Adderall, like you know what I mean? Like as a as a medication that I take regularly from a psychiatrist, it was really funny to be like, it's speed, it'll keep you up, and I'm like, 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of meds, I gotta up my trazodone to 100 milligrams. This shit ain't making me fall asleep anymore. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you're gonna stream for 12 hours when you do that, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just thought, it, I thought it was, I thought it was funny that every time we talk about a movie, that's like everyone's like, why don't you stay awake? Why don't you stay awake? I'm like, Adderall, dude. Yeah. Hey, stay awake. And then this movie, they're like, oh, don't worry, we have a drawer full of speed. And I'm like. There you go. You figured it out. That's <laughs> can can we having nothing to do with literally any of that? Can we talk about the sound design of this movie? Because I think it's it's incredible. I think that the usage of sound in this movie is uh, pretty pretty awesome. Actually, yeah, and, and there is a feeling. somebody sampled the soundtrack and put it in like like a like um the part where they're they're playing he's playing the jazz music whenever um mm -hmm. uh he's got the woman over for for dinner and he's playing like some jazz music. Somebody sampled part of that song and put it in something, and it's driving me nuts uh, since I rewatched the movie. And I think it did last time I, I, I rewatched the movie. Like, like, what is it that they sampled? Um, so, but, so yeah. if you, audience, if you know that, uh, write to psychological turd at moviedextravaganza.com and uh, yes. let Andy know, please. <laughs> but, but uh, no, no, the sound design is fantastic because I love how like the beeping of the the telephone yeah. becomes like part of the score. And, and just like this driving electronic beat uh, in the background of that scene to kind of ratchet up the tension. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, and just, just constantly little things like that. It fits uh, perfectly. Well, and I think it helps with the mood, right? Like, well, like you're yeah. saying, like it's, it's, it helps like maintain tension. It, it like is off putting sometimes like, like it just, it'll take something that's already like visually tense and, and, you know, absolutely, you know, take it somewhere else entirely. Like, oh, crap. Even like little things like we played the, uh, what was it, the, the bagpipes doing? Uh, it was Amazing Grace. Is that what it is? Yeah. 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 Like that's such a like. Which is why cops are pod people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like when you, when he's going and you see the ship and you're like, what is going on? It just adds to the weirdness of like, first of all, like, why would it be that song? Secondly, why would it be bagpipes? But of course, yeah. it completely makes sense. At the same How time. is this movie about pod people again? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, and it's, 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 you know, like just the weird, like grindings and like the, oh my God, the sounds when like the, the, the pod person's getting birthed. Oh. Makes you uncomfortable. You're going to fucking person. <laughs> We're going through this. You don't understand. There's a pod person. Fucking pod people. Let me tell you. <laughs> was that Jamaican? That, that was that was yeah. That was half Scottish, half Jamaican. What the? Fuck <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man! It's all the pod people. <laughs> We're getting canceled now. Invasion of the body snatchers. <laughs> <laughs> oh Looks my god! Like a pile of warmed over haggis. It is. I just remembered my fucking sleep deprived, forcing you guys to watch uh, Tom Hanks' son on <laughs> Channel Five. <laughs> the, the entire Christine, the entire reaction I had all the time was just, I was just, no, I was just shaking. Yeah, that was that. awful. Like we forget, no. like we forget that he has a son that's good, Colin. Okay. He made the forget. Tower Records documentary. I don't forget. Too, I see things he's in good. all the fucking time. Yeah, like uh, people also forget that that Chet has a brother named Chester, I believe. So it's like, oh, what? What about this other Hank's son that yeah, exists? Would, yeah, no. But is like, he a Colin, pod person? Colin <laughs> is, is. is like super talented, but it doesn't have the charisma his dad has. Like, uh, oh, Hank a Colin, yeah, yeah. 
So, so but like, he, like uh, you know, I loved him in uh, Fargo. By look the, at uh, yeah, uh, Kiefer Fargo. Sutherland. Donald's uh, he he managed to you know make a name for himself. He's yeah, well, he, he, he has, has his own kind of charisma Christina. too. Like, yeah, like, it's very hey, different than his Have you ever seen the Have you ever seen the video of Kiefer Sutherland jumping into the Christmas tree? Hey, you know what? At least it's seasonally appropriate this time, as opposed to October when you push on everybody. Have you ever uh, Have you ever seen the video? Oh, wait a minute! Wasn't he in the Lost Boys? Have you ever seen the video of Keeper Sutherland drunk as fuck jumping into a Christmas tree? He's just gonna keep saying it until you answer. So you better answer him one way or the other. <laughs> no. All right. Well, I'll 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 be right back. <laughs> He's gonna go no. cue that up. So. Yeah, I will say this. Colin Hanks' uh, documentary about my former place of employment many years ago, Tower Records, is well worth a watch. I think that is mm-hmm. very interesting. Yeah, it's also where I learned that Elton John Colin's is a guy. Yeah. I, I don't want to sound like I'm knocking him, but like there, there is a certain movie star charisma that some people have. Oh, yeah. sure. No, no, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not debating that and, at and all. Like, like, like there are actors, which he is, yeah. th- that are good. And then there are movie stars. And, and yeah. like, you know, and that's... And he's movie got, stars he's got don't TV, have to be good he's actors. Got TV drama charisma, which is not the same by any. Yeah, he's like a character actor, too. Like if know. it runs in the family as well, like there's all that like nepotism crap. But I mean, like Keeper, he's got it. Like he made a name for himself for sure. And sometimes I forget that he that he is Donald Sutherland's son. Like I even forgot. I'm like, wait a minute, there's that family resemblance. But yeah, no, twenty four. No. And Kiefer, Kiefer is, uh, you know, talented in a different way than his father. Mm-hmm. Like they both have, like, like his father has a kind of uh, insane uh, uh, charisma. He's eccentric which, in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why he was Hawkeye in MASH. Um, which, whereas Kiefer Sutherland looks like he's going to torture you because he probably will. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. He's got this dark side to him, which is always great. Yeah. Um, and, and like, I just watched uh, Young Guns recently. Yeah. Um, mm. Which which is uh, not a bad movie. It's it's yes. Emilio Estevez and Lou Diamond Phillips, right? Yes, and Charlie Sheen. Yeah, where Charlie Sheen plays the sane one, and Emilio Estevez plays the crazy one. Yeah. Kind of a switcheroo. Exactly. Um, but mm. yeah, no, no. Uh, uh, now you had like, to figure it out. You didn't. <laughs> it does. It does kind of suck that like Donald Sutherland's career though has been, um, you know a lot of roles that are kind of anti-militaristic, a lot of roles that are anti-intelligent state or whatever. And then Kiefer Sutherland's big role is being in fucking 24. It's, you know, like, it's literally like the uh, Iraq war style. It's extraordinary rendition, the TV show pretty much. Yeah. It's, but, it's yep. like Pete Buttigieg trying to rebel against his father. This is how, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's how Kiefer rebelled against his father. Here's that Thanksgiving dinner documentary. Go ahead. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Christina, are you ready for this? Yeah. <laughs> it's um, it's 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 quite it's quite amazing. This the build-up is, is like twenty times longer than the video, by the way. Yeah, it's a nine-second video. Hey, keep you a pirate, man? That would explain everything. Come on. <laughs> He just doom like he doesn't care. He's like, eh, I'm just gonna, you know, Christmas tree. Are you guys familiar with Lady Gaga's Christmas song called Christmas Tree? It's full of sexual innuendos. Mm. 
And I'm like, that's what that moment reminds me of that song. Light me up, put me on top, let's la 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 la. The Christmas tree is delicious. I see. Yeah, that's uh, does not sound good. Boom. I, and, I'm, and I'm someone that I, I'm very open to Lady Gaga's uh, discography. I don't like all of it, but some of it I do. That's like early of- on in her, like this was like when she was still singing "Cherry Cherry Boom Boom." Like this is like 2008, 2009. You know what she was in as uh, as a teenager? She was in The Sopranos. She's um. There's there's the episode where there's the episode where AJ uh, throws a bunch of shit into his high school pool, and uh, Lady Gaga is one of the one of the girls, uh, you know, um, like egging them on in that. <laughs> oh, I have an idea. Speaking of Lady Gaga, for a subathon, you can do all Ridley Scott's films because I'm sure he'd appreciate that. Watch I... them on an iPad. Guess <laughs> <laughs> what, Ridley Scott. We watch all of your movies on an iPhone. Suck my dick. Come up with something better. Like people are mad about House of Gucci, and I'm like, of course, the family's gonna be pissed. No, yeah, what a shocking development. Who could have predicted? Anyway, <laughs> I want to start doing uh, watch parties um, at, at some point soon because I think that could be really fun. Um, yeah, I, I don't necessarily. Um, I want I want people to like. I want to do something where. It's. I mean, I don't want to do it for patrons. We don't have enough patrons right now. But I do want to. <laughs> no, but like, you know, I, I do want to find a way to like have to entice people into doing watch parties and not just kind of give give it all away for free when we're already giving the show away for free and you know just yeah using everybody with it. But I do want to do watch parties. We had a lot of fun um, on Give Them an Argument doing a uh, Judas and the Black Messiah before Dan Simpson did a did a watch party for that. We did, we did a version of that. Um, which, by the way, Ben and Jason weren't because Jason Miles was on it. Ben and Jason weren't going to um, weren't going to record. Like we were going to have a conversation afterwards. They weren't going to record the conversation. And I was like, the two of you. Why the fuck wouldn't you record yeah. that conversation? History's That's greatest geniuses figure out a terrible plan. Yeah. <laughs> And Ben's yeah, like, well, yeah, I guess we can jump on StreamYard. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, if you don't well. jump on StreamYard, I have to fucking quit because this isn't going to be – and it was. They went at each other's throats and had, and Jason really gave him an argument. And it was a fun – it was a really <laughs> fun exactly. You want to enact the title of your show, Burgess? Then, like, freaking let's go. And yeah, then they're yeah. like, oh, well, sorry, we didn't record this at all. And it's like, yeah, yeah. no, you're going to have to – you have to record this if you're going to have a conversation about and it. And then they didn't like, record that was a great movie. the other one Jason's that they did. Like, Wait, which? Uh, they they watched. Uh, we watched a uh, documentary on um, uh, uh, what was it? The um, the debate between um, uh, Gore Vidal and uh, that that swarmy dude who did that uh, conservative writer. Uh, they they had like the, this uh, this series of debates. William on, Buckley. Yeah, William Buckley. Yes. Yeah. Well, oh, that's funny because oh. I was gonna say my my joke was gonna be uh, yeah, we don't want to record it because we don't want to uh. uh take up space that could be used for Ben Burgess debating William Buckley's cousin. That was my joke. (laughs) (laughs) But, but uh, you you missed me just like going off on like how much I hate Aaron Sorkin because I realized that, that he thinks he's uh, the, the new Gore Vidal. Mm. Oh, imagine doing a watch party of don't look up. Oh man. Well, actually, you know, the first time uh, Forrest and I met was on the, this is revolution Oscars party. And I razzed Burgess pretty hard about trial of Chicago seven, which is pretty hilarious. <laughs> you a very, a very, he's like, who the fuck's this guy? Movie. <laughs> well, all right. So uh, I was razzing him. I, I love him. Gonna, to death. I was actually going to reference the same, 
thing, but with a different movie. Um, two days before I met you, Burgess hadn't had a chance to watch Nomadland yet. And I had watched it three times to have different conversations about it by that point and hated it by that point. The first time I watched it, I liked it. And then yeah. my opinion of it nosedived each time I watched it. So two days before I met you, um, we did a, a Nomadland watch party with Jeremy Salmon and um, me. With you, with you, I thought there was one more person. Was there one? I think there was one more person that talked to us about it. Um, but I, I, the only thing I remember is nobody was talking like right at the beginning, and everybody was still like getting back online. And, and so yeah. I'm uh, completely like don't quite have all my thoughts prepared. Uh, but like uh, Chloe Zhao, uh, Chloe Zhao is a very Chinese uh, in her the way she approaches film mm. in that in that movie. And, um, you know, like you can see uh, influences like, um, uh, uh, oh, my God, I'm, I'm just blanking on the guy's name. Terrence Malick? No, no. I was I was thinking of a Chinese director who did um, uh, Red Sungrong and uh, uh, Hero and uh, House of Flying Daggers and oh. um the Great Wall, and I'm remembering his, like, his worst movies now. But he also did uh, Hang the Red Lantern. Um, oh, uh, what was it? Uh, a Girl, a Gun, and a Noodle Shop. Well, I, I know that I know that um, Catherine Liu, who I respect a lot. I mean, I think all of us kind of do on this show. Um, who's you know she's brilliant when it comes to a lot of things, but like I mean, obviously she's a film professor first. Um, I remember she really likes her early work, but didn't like Nomadland, which I found really interesting. Well, nobody remembers this, but I think the movie's awesome, and I still think the movie's awesome, and I think all the leftist takes are pretty much wrong, including Jason's. But nope, that's yeah. it. I'm not going to go to war for it. Someone I just thought it was a good a, movie. Someone Sometimes that's okay. A, um, I, I would love, if, if we ever get back into a dialogue about it, Anna Kasparian had a very uh, pro um, Nomadland take. And I don't, I don't know if she still holds it. So it'd be interesting if, if we ever have another conversation. It's about almost, it to... I should message her and be like, no man's land. Good <laughs> or bad. <laughs> well, it, it sucks because you're not allowed to not have a radicalized opinion on Nomad Land. I liked it. I thought it was a good movie. I thought it was very beautifully shot. Mm. Um, oh, you yeah. Know, that, like, that's that's why I thought it was funny when we did Blue Velvet. And Ray Vaughn was like, I loved it. And I was like, I hate it. And I'm like, uh-oh. Yeah. I was happy that Ravana kept her... Um, I loved it opinion because we had like we had different group chats going and there was one with Anna Gasparian that morning saying I hated it and I was wondering like you know I don't I didn't think she was going to but if if Ravana like kept her opinion being like or changed her opinion being like oh well I hated it too and I'm happy she didn't do that nah yeah I mean I, I had fun busting and being like dissenting opinion Blue Velvet's actually fucking awesome like I mean just like that was it was great for me to be able to come in like that so even though I was like oh the whole time it's like all right this is yeah a good we discussion. saw those comments i'm like uh-oh yeah i uh i got off on i got off on the power of deciding when conan could come in now i don't have that power anymore so well, i thought yeah. i mean, thought it, i thought it played well though because it's like <laughs> it was an actual discussion right you know yeah and like and, it's and, boring if everyone's like hey you know what's great about this movie everything i agree <laughs> all right cool nobody Listen, cares. i think i think Anne is also brilliant like every interaction I've had with her is, is something brilliant. I've never had an interaction with her where she turns around and goes, Oh, well fuck that opinion. And kind of, you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. having a conversation, like 
having a conversation with her and having you have a different opinion on the same topic, it was really, it was really nice to like have that be able to exist. Um, with you guys having a conversation where she kind of realized that like, you know, you, you didn't like it the first time you watched it. I did. not Yeah. And have her kind of see that ground in, in some way where it's like, well, maybe if I watch it more than once and I think about it, maybe I'll like it. That was a, a lot uh, better than someone just kind of jumping on here being like, well, fuck your opinion, which yeah. it's not something I'm interested in, in hearing. And it's not something that I would ever um, expect her to say anyway. But like, yeah. And Ravana's analysis also kind of helped Anna understand a few things. She's like, oh, no, I didn't really think about that. That's yeah. that's something new, you know, for me to, you know, uh, take in. I'm like, I love this panel. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and then I was like, and then I was like, yeah, I bet you're happy you hired her. Anyway, I'm glad you guys met on this stream. I feel important now. No, um, just so people know, it's uh, Yamu Jang. It's the uh, director I was trying to think of. Um, yeah, he's done some phenomenal films. So, uh, you know, if, if you liked if you liked visually what you saw and that, check out some of his uh, earlier works before Hero. Um, you'll you'll see what I'm talking about. All right. So that was quite the derivation. Anyway, invasion of the body snatchers, right? <laughs> All right. So I have, I have one more clip and then, you know, I share You're like uh, Columbo with those clips, man. I think you said that up at the last three. One more clip. No, I have one, one more from the making of documentary. This is not from the making of documentary. This is uh, Sigourney Weaver. I wanted to connect the two first films that we did. Um, and this is Sigourney Weaver talking about the impact that uh, invasion of the body snatchers had on her. Um, I can't stay on a stream too late tonight because, you know what? I feel uh, I feel good about this after watching Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I have to go to the dentist in the morning and get Ooh. fucking fillings done. And it was nice to watch a movie where fucking Donald Sutherland was like, "Yo, dentists are fucking crazy." And I'm like, "Thank you." Support <laughs> me on how crazy fucking dentists are because I've had so many bad experiences with dentists. So I'm glad I had an anti-dentist movie going on before this i can i mean i could stay on for another like half hour but um talking about you know different aspects of this and closing up but you know i have to go to bed somewhat early tonight and it kind of sucks because dentists are fucking crazy fuck dentists dentists be crazy yo it'd be really funny if my if the dentist was watching the stream and was like oh oh all right i was gonna it, it ended his patron patronship of the patronship <laughs> patronage whatever yeah. you know what <laughs> i'm talking about is, tooth, tooth left is 69 <laughs> Yeah, that's good. Well, I was terrified by Invasion of the Body Snatchers um, because it was about, you know, what happened to people you loved. Suddenly they had no sense of humor and um, couldn't communicate with you and you couldn't communicate with them. Um, and then it, it just sort of spread. Uh, so the idea of of people changing, you know, the idea of, any kind of thing where you can catch a virus and not be yourself anymore or, you know, have be replaced by another creature that looked and sounded just like you, but wasn't you at all. I mean, I think that's the juiciest kind of science fiction. Um, it's so believable, really, in an odd way. That was a short clip. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's, it's, it was I was like, do I have time to go pee? No, I don't think I do. <laughs> not, not that I would ever do such a thing, you understand. Especially not regularly, but anyway. Yeah. You don't <laughs> pee? 
Hmm. You just do it with a bottle that you keep next to you. Yo, people kept there. There was that one episode of uh, Gives Them an Argument where I kept having to pee, and everyone knew I had to pee because I kept being like, "Hey, I got," and Ben wouldn't let me, and it was like four and a half hours into it, and people kept people kept sending me shit where they were like, "Hey, here's a pee bottle you can have for when you're streaming." And I was like, "You know what? Fuck you." <laughs> Now I now I'm just, that's why that's why I'm in charge now. I can just, I was gonna know, say that that's why you became the boss, a true success story. <laughs> uh yeah, I mean you know, she's kind of focusing in on like, you know, just like the personal aspects of things, right? But like, you know, she'd know like she's from you know, one of the iconic uh, we, we talked about there, you know, being a pre Ripley and post Ripley sci-fi world, right? And and that's still true. So Honestly, I forgot she was in that fucking piece of shit Avatar too. I fucking hate that movie. But like, uh... <laughs> I just I never, never saw never, the appeal I to Avatar. I never Titanic is a better James Cameron movie. I said it anyway. But yeah, I mean, you know, like it's cool that she's giving props to it because this is another one of the ones in like that pantheon of stuff that kind of changed sci-fi. I I think for the better. Like mm -hmm. made it hit a little harder and like meaningful and impactful, but not as niche. Right. And the thing is, there's meaningful and impactful sci-fi way earlier on. But I like the fact that we're covering stuff from like this era and beyond, because I think it like it isn't discussed culturally as much as it probably should be. Agreed. Especially so agree. like when it comes to like this, like when it comes to films, like not many people want to cover like sci-fi films of the 70s, unless it's like Ridley Scott with Alien. Cause you know, like Scorsese and all, and The Godfather and all these other like nitty gritty films were coming out during the seventies. On top of all the like exploitation films, all movies right. I watched on an iPhone, by the way. <laughs> and, and, and you know, let's just say I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that like Star Wars being a lived-in, uh, you know, space movie, even though yes, it's a fantasy. Whatever. It, it feels wanna, more lived way to work in. Bodies? You want to find a way to work bodies into that description? <laughs> lived in spaces. Lived in space bodies. Um, yes, with those pods there. Um, no, there are no pod people on Tatooine. You think the plants can grow there? Come on. No, what I, I was text saying, Bonnie. Do you want to get her in on this? We can. <laughs> what I was saying is just like the words that have taken over on. Taking over like pods on uh on Twitter where it's like my lived experience. No, I, I got the reference. I just chose bodies. No, I know. So <laughs> I got it. Um, I I this this movie is interesting to me because I think that it's it's fascinating that the original uh invasion of the body snatchers takes that like noir turn, right? Like a lot of it, it's like famous for kind of combining the aspects of uh noir filmmaking and sci-fi. Which is amazing. And this movie kind of combines the 70s political thriller, which is um, a, a, a definition of filmmaking that really in the 70s took off because of the fact that people had such little trust in institutions. And because kind of there was this overall um, aestheticization almost of paranoia. And like, you know, just feeling that something was wrong. Society is deeply flawed. Like these ideas that there's a myriad of reasons, I think, in filmmaking why it would have had to be a lot more uh, muted in the past. One of them, of course, is the fact that this is a, a decade after the Hayes Code um, where you couldn't actually say, 
hey, I don't trust institutions in, in America. When they're the Hayes dumb- Code, a.k.a. our sponsor, for as much as we fucking mention <laughs> it in this show. <laughs> sponsored by the Hayes Code. Sponsored by the golden age of Hollywood. We couldn't even say pregnant. In like films or TV yeah. shows, pregnant. You could, you could, you let could, alone you could, you could, you could sneak it in and yeah. have your aliens just say pregnant, and then you're like, oh, I guess no. But <laughs> I don't know why your 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 wording of pregnant just made me <laughs> like three more syllables too when she does it. Um, oh my god. No, but so I, I think that this movie kind of combines two uh, genres that are incredibly um kind of like you know like that in within this uh decade have kind of taken off which is like the political thriller and sci-fi which you know sci-fi works in any decade really but having it kind of be like this combined thing um like neo-noir is kind of the same way right like throughout throughout that like throughout the decade of the 70s neo-noir takes off because of this lack of trust in institutions and it's interesting to kind of have that aspect of it permeate this movie um, for very good reason, but like you know, I, I think that I think that you could remake uh, you could remake Invasion of the Body Snatchers as many times as you want, and if they have, as long as <laughs> boy have they, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to hold off as, that time, but yeah. <laughs> as long as you have something to say about the culture of the time you're living in, as long as you have something to say about like, as long as you can kind of permeate a secondary and tertiary genre into it, where it's like you know. You, you could kind of keep, continue to create like a, a different kind of film and everyone could say, well, you're actually trying to say something different with the pod people. You're trying to say something different with this aspect of paranoia um, instead of kind of making the same point over and over again. And I kind of find that a fascinating part of this. Now watch they remake it. It's about TikTok now, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, but Everybody's you know, starting the pod app. No, Ooh, I, I it, could be, it could be. It could be. Oh god, what was that one movie? I forgot. But it's like you know, with a TikTok filter, you can see who are really the pop people with the TikTok filter. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> there you go. The, uh, uh, no, Hollywood, where's our money? The, god damn it! The screech. Oh, the screech did you becomes, play the uh, the clip uh, of the um uh, of them talking about the lighting of the movie? I I didn't. Okay, okay. I found a clip, and I I I can't believe I didn't share it with anybody, or or I saw it at some point. But they were discussing, uh, God, what's of, wrong with me? Kind of this is like the defense right? attorney bringing in evidence at the last minute of the trial. By yes, the way. Yeah. yes. <laughs> um, but no, they, they were actually discussed. Uh, like the the neo noir was actually a very conscious uh, decision on the filmmakers because they wanted to make a noir. Uh, they, they, but so they thought how to do it with uh, color and shadow, and, and you can really see that with the shadow. Maybe not so much with the color, um, uh, but that's okay. You know. That's fine. Uh, I think uh, I think the works. Oh, is it good? I'm glad you think so. Well, let me tell you, see, all of a sudden I was walking down the street and they were telling me about these goddamn aliens. Do I believe it? I don't know. <laughs> but but you could definitely see like the them thinking about like the way they filmed uh, the shadow and the light and, and uh, capturing light on people's faces. It, it's it it really is a noir in that respect, you know. They, they, they yeah, can. and that that is that is my favorite. So I had a really funny interaction that I didn't talk about during Nightmare, Nightmare Alley, and I probably should have, but um, I watched uh, Nightmare Alley at my grandma's house. I mean, I screened from there, too. And, you know, since it's black and white, that movie did some really amazing things with shadow, lighting, like, you know, having different... Ca- 
But then I um, I was watching it the second time or the third time, and I pointed that out. And my grandma was like, what are you talking about? And I realized that, like, like my mom, my grandma, and I had this conversation about how people maybe that had uh, black and white films for a lot of their life, because she's, like, 90. Um, like, <laughs> people that had black and white films for a good portion of their life maybe don't recognize the aestheticization of shadow and lighting. And she's also not someone that thinks deeply about film, but, you know, having that as kind of the standard definition of film, the standard colorization of film, um, it was interesting because she didn't seem to uh, have ever recognized that maybe shadow and lighting could be used in that way. And for someone who sees um, black and white filmmaking and thinks like, well, this isn't, you know, these are older films and these are films that are trying to say something different because the actual aesthetics of the film are different. Um, it, it was interesting to have that kind of like conversation with her. I'd be like, well, you know, when they have shadow and, and, and lighting and stuff in the noir film, like that kind of is for a reason and it's very purposeful and the aesthetics of it are there for a very conscious reason. And I do feel that way about this film too, but. People don't think that lighting and, and, and shadows and all that is important. And I'm like, it is. Yeah. It hard. Two words, Roger Deakins. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and it, spaces are important. Bodies, right. living experience, pods, self-care, plants, <laughs> mud baths, bagpipes. It's a letterbox time or what? What are we doing here? <laughs> yeah, I guess it's, it's it's letterbox time. Um, let me let me tell you though. Let's talk about it's my lived-in uh, experience of... Uh, is it lived-in or lived experience? Lived, lived. experience, right? Yeah. Experience. See, this is how much I, I give I a shit. Up. I'm like, I don't know. What the fuck do they say? It doesn't matter. What, that's what we're doing. <laughs> well, here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing, people. <laughs> All right. So we do a segment. We've reached out to them. Have not heard back, but we've... You know, we do a segment. <laughs> Thrown the shade already. All right. Yeah. We're going to burn it all down. Anyway, we do a segment called Letterbox One-Liners. We yes. let Conan loose. We really let him show his full, the full shininess of his jackets. We let him shine. Everything. Um, Letterbox is a social media app where you can review films. You uh, have a chance, as Conan likes to say, the democratization of, of, of film reviewing. Um, the people get a chance for once to really decide which films are, are good, which films you should watch. Um, and our opinions on them. So Letterboxd, uh, a, a big part of it is people do these one-line film reviews, and Conan finds the best ones. And you know what? If you slip him $100 on the table, I think he, uh, <laughs> he might pick yours. got to get paid on this show somehow. <laughs> yeah, like the pithiest, funniest. You know. doesn't pay their employees. Right. Anyway. <laughs> Andy and I are going to go on strike. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, you guys want to? You guys want to form a union? Good luck getting paid. <laughs> Next thing you know, he's got all the cast of uh, these are bad movies as his staff. Anyway, <laughs> never that. But uh, <laughs> I think movies are good, so you know I could never have them be the staff. Right, right exactly. Yeah, it would course. fuck everything up for me. Yeah, uh, they don't like Alien. Like, what the hell? I think they do like Alien. They're just they're now they're pigeonholed. They're pigeonholed into saying that everything is a bad movie because we've turned them into a meme. They've, they've typecast themselves. Yeah. Oh, are they bad movies? Is there something problematic about them? Really? You guys You guys uh, found something problematic in a movie from 1979? Wow. 
I am quite impressed. Anyway, here is <laughs> review number one. Maybe he's become a Republican. That's I also, I also like that, like I also really like that that whole scene because he's like he's like, well, you can make sure he's not gay, not a Republican. Yeah. Or wasn't it wasn't like he didn't catch the gay or something like that. No, he didn't say he didn't catch the gay. He just was like, you could you could really just knock things off. He doesn't have a social disease, mm. which is reminded me of West Side no, Story. No, but like, like what, what, what he, he did Maybe say something. he's got a social disease. Yeah. Then take him to a salsa wika. <laughs> he's not Pete oh. Buttigieg, judge, in other words. <laughs> Powerful tweed movie. Emma Stefanski. There's a lot of tweet energy in this. That's right. I'm also happy I picked. I didn't do it on purpose, knowing that this is going to be one of the reviews. But I am happy that I picked this image because they got like straight up tweet in the back. Tweet, tweet illustration. There you go. If it was me, it just would have been his weird glove that I still don't understand what it is for. But yeah. tweet a go go. Mmm, <laughs> I love capers. <laughs> man there. I really, I'm disappointed that no one had like a Ratatouille reference because they bring out the rat and the rat's just dead and they're walking out with it. And he's like, I got it. And I was like, oh man, that. Pat <laughs> Oswald, <cool>. no. <laughs> what a great time to fall asleep. That's envy. Oh, my favorite. That is one of the things it's like, if we're just like, oh. My face can only handle so much. <laughs> Oh no, my Adderall script ran out. <laughs> the power of cinema is me having a crush on a health inspector. <laughs> so, I, don't, I don't know how you say this, this username's also, name. This movie also purposely, I mean, maybe not, but like there's the, um, and, I, and I've talked about this, but like there's the, the aspect of uh, like the new left that kind of took place where it was like a consumerist obsession, right? Which should take place because you know, businesses are kind of selling people things that can kill them constantly. But like the idea of like kind of like the Ralph Nader consumerist uh, revolution, instead of being a class revolution, it's like a revolution based on let's try to save consumers. And yeah. Nixon and Ford and Reagan all absolutely reject that as a concept. So it's funny to have like a health inspector who's kind of the who would be the one kind of pushing OSHA coming out, you know, during the 70s as a uh, <laughs> as your main character. I'm giving all the house plans I bought during the pandemic some serious side eye right now. <laughs> Thank you, Dark. Mm. Yeah, mine, mine were uh, mine were a cactus and and an aloe plant, which are both still alive and upstairs. But like, you know, I was giving them side eye already. My plants are plastic, so I think I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, to be screamed in the face by Veronica Cartwright. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Jeff Goldblum at his sexiest, a man who hates the cops. <laughs> the uh, 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 FBI is 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 in on it. <laughs> this happened to my cousin one time. He's better now, though. <laughs> That's the best one. That is hands down. <laughs> oh boy! Makes you think twice about stopping to smell the roses. <laughs> Oh my god, that was a good one too. I, I also I really like how ridiculous um Jeff Goldblum like seems to take it when they're like where they're like, Oh, it's a plant and he's like, Oh yeah, like aliens came on a plant and it's like 
Dude, you've been the one that's most like this most crazy about conspiracy theories the entire it's movie. It's the one thing. It's the one thing he shits on. Like everything else is fair game. He's like, come on, plants. You know. And yeah. Like, Why is that the thing, dude? There's stuff in the water that turns the frogs gay. <laughs> but it's all Alex, plants. Alex Jones body snatchers. <laughs> Lizard people. Uh, we're we're all pod people. <laughs> Can't go to sleep. Alex Jones would be Leonard Nimoy's character. Where he's broadcasting shit the entire movie about other conspiracy theories. Meanwhile, he's the one turning everyone to pod people. Like that that would be yeah. a modern rendition of this movie. Anyway, right. I'm gonna go now to final thoughts quickly, you know, because I do have to go to sleep and, and, and get my teeth drilled and you know, it's gonna fucking suck. So uh starting with Christina. Mm. So okay, anyway, I <laughs> love this film. Uh, everything about it, cinematography, uh, the underlying political messaging, Donald Sutherland is at his hottest in this film. Um, <laughs> and as this is one of the cases where a remake could actually be retooled, bring something fresh and innovative. And I feel like this version is a lot more famous because of all those things. I mean, there's been so many references to it in pop culture. It's it stands the test of time. They tried done they tried doing sequels. I heard pod culture. Pod culture. <laughs> but yeah, uh it's they tried doing sequels and remakes and it just it can't be done. It's either this version or the 1956 version. So, I mean, I give it an 11 out of 10. <laughs> All right, Conan. Hey, uh, great film. You know, are there a few pacing issues? Yeah, kinda. Does it do a lot? Absolutely. Is it? Oh my god, completely freaky AF. You fucking better believe it. Like it, this movie is fantastic, and it's something that I've seen this. I've seen a lot over the years, and it still it still gets to you. And like I said, I've been to like three times. Like the 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 scenes of like the pod birthing, like. So gross, like so yeah. gross and all with practical effects. And like, what a great thing to still be grossed out by that as like a grown ass man and be like, ugh, that's ugh. <laughs> Sound design's incredible. Cinematography is great. Um, you know, Christina hit on an important point that like we still talk about like, you know, oh, it's a so-so, the pod people. Ha ha, to this day in the popular lexicon. And it's in, you know, the 50s movie was, was good and it's popular, but it's because of this movie that we, that we think of it that way. So it's important to culture. And I'm really glad we actually covered it uh, for this month because I think it's important to the genre of sci-fi as well. Because it kind of helped, um, if, if not immediately be the first movie to do it, but to have the really heavy undercurrent of political vibes that, again, resonate and make the movie itself, which is already good, kind of hit a little harder because of that. And also, Leonard Nimoy's got a weird glove, and please uh, at me and tell me what that's all about. Because I don't know what that is. <laughs> all right, Andy. Ah, oh, well, there's so much to say about this movie because it is an absolute all-time great. Uh, I know. Um, I remember growing up in the '80s, and a lot of uh, people overanalyzed the original one uh, and ignored this one. Uh, and so, like, I, I feel like this movie hasn't quite gotten its due compared to the original. Um, because there is a lot to, to really be able to pull out of this movie um, because it is such a great remake. Um, and yeah, the shadow, the cinematography, the um, uh, just, just like I said, the, 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 from the, from the get go, from the opening scene 
like just weird stuff's happening already. And so, so like, you know, uh, you can see like, like parallel pod people movies that are happening at the same time, but you don't actually know what those stories are. Um, it, it almost reminds me of um, uh, when I was a kid seeing the episodes of Auto Man and Manimal, where, where um, Auto Man's just in the background of Manimal. And, and uh, but they yeah. have the same scene in uh, no man. <laughs> <laughs> no manimal man. Um, and, and then so so like they they had the same they they're they're at the same place at the same time doing like different episodes and they're just in the background of each other's scenes and it's it's like one of the best uh, weeks of television of 1982. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, it, it, this movie kind of has that kind of feeling like like. There's um, every single person you see on screen has a story. It's not like just extras going about their business. Like, like there is another uh, group of people experiencing something very similar to this that that's going on. And it's just, they're running around in the background doing it. And you don't know what that story is. And it, it's, it's great because it adds so much to this movie. Um, it helps the paranoia because you don't know if it's actually like, you know, is this actually another group of people or is this somebody, you know, trying to catch a train? You know, he missed the trolley. He's late for work. You know, what, what is happening here? Um, and and I, I don't think uh, that, that we touched really on that aspect too much. But but uh, I do just want to shout out, like, all the extras in the movie, you know, did a phenomenal job making this, like, elevating this film. Um, you know, from Robert Duvall in the swings to, to uh, you know, everybody at the end there. Yeah. All the extras in the 415. Give me a shout. Let me know you're alive. <laughs> oh, man. What I'll say is... I'm 